I should like to see any power of the world destroy this race, this small tribe of unimportant people, whose history is ended, whose wars have all been fought and lost, whose structures have crumbled, whose literature is unread, whose music is unheard, whose prayers are no longer uttered. Go ahead, destroy this race. Destroy Armenia. See if you can do it. Send them from their homes into the desert. Let them have neither bread nor water. Burn their houses and their churches. See if they will not live again. See if they will not laugh again. See if the race will not live again when two of them meet in a beer parlor 100 years after and laugh and speak in their tongue. Go ahead. See if you can do anything about it. See if you can stop them from mocking the big ideas of the world, you sons of bitches. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Go ahead and try to destroy them. For when two of them meet anywhere in the world, see if they will not create a new dissident publication that is eventually co-opted by censorious libtards. There is something very titanic about San Francisco. After hanging out with Glenn at Haight-Ashbury on my first night in town, I freshen up at my hotel and head over to the Dr. Fauci Research Clinic. It's full of males. 
Some of them are men. Some of them are boys, and others are trying. There is much to study at the Dr. Fauci Research Clinic on this Saturday night. Much to examine. Two floors divide the patients. The basement floor is darker, not completely black. More kind of blue like an old-timey disco, the better to encourage loose and familiar behavior. Less glow-in-the-dark, more blow-in-the-dark, I scribble in my mental clipboard. Overall, I'm pleased with the variety and general liveliness of the subjects tonight. They're not all cut from the same cloth or chasing the same dragon. You get the feeling you're more at a bazaar than a research clinic. I check in my lab coat, the better to camouflage, and I go upstairs. It's red and orange. Like fire, the lighting is red and orange, but in a good way, a good way. The focus is on dancing. The music is okay, not great, but good enough to plausibly move to. I find the upstairs-downstairs dynamic of this place to be queerly symbolic of San Francisco itself. In the public eye, San Francisco is a playground of social movements sometimes. Genuinely avant-garde, sometimes catastrophic, but there is a very old money, gold money side to San Francisco. A wealthy, posh, pretty, blonde, aristocratic class that holds debutante balls and fancy galas and surroundings of severe grandeur. Their kids spend summers in Lake Tahoe, fucking and sucking and whatever else, driving their cars into the lake sometimes, and they marry each other and carry on the line and control the state. Noah Cross, the John Huston character in Polanski's Chinatown, strikes a much more old money San Francisco vibe than anything LA to me. You always feel this when you go to San Francisco. You feel the gold standard backing whatever currencies are being exchanged on the surface. The glittering elites are actually the underground of San Francisco. They keep away from the headlines, but they are the golden statists who pull the strings. There is something very titanic about San Francisco. Such thoughts visit me on the second floor of the Dr. Fauci Research Clinic, so I back away from the dance floor and crouch against the wall to scribble some more notes in my head. My style of crouching is the very Armenian man on the side of the road style, ass to heels, knees up, not out, so the pressure is on my sinewy thighs. As I scribble my notes, I remain locked in this crouching position for some time. Then I spring up. And you know what happens when you're in a weird position and your leg falls asleep? The same thing can happen to your head. You move before your blood cells have a chance to catch up. Your mind becomes an engine without fuel and the effect can be especially disorienting if you're a bit congested and on a few mild hallucinogens that you've taken for research purposes purely. 
For a moment, when I stood up, everything was normal. Then suddenly all my senses got dim. My vision of the room, with its shirtless bodies dancing in firelight, freezes like a still image. The music becomes a static glare, and the scene, as a frozen image, begins to wobble as if I'm being extracted from a dream. Except I know it's not a dream. being extracted from and where the hell am I going to wake up where am I going to wake up afternoon and made my way to see Shant Misrobian. Shant Misrobian pursued a career in journalism, inspired by the falsehoods on which the United States launched the war in Iraq. In 2004, he co-founded Media Matters, a liberal watchdog outlet that he describes now as one of the most evil institutions in America. Sometime around 2015, 2016, when the wokeness gambit hit full gear, Shant found himself being abruptly extracted from the world he thought he was living in. That was a world in which Democrats good, Republicans bad, and more fundamentally it was a world in which the liberal journalism industry more or less sought to expose the objective truth about the doings of power. And definitely wasn't a totally corrupt propaganda cartel working on behalf of power, to censor all of its opponents and all views and facts inconvenient to its interests, while pretending to be heroes. 
Norm MacDonald theorized that the perfect joke is one where the punchline is identical to the setup. And I think that comes closest to describing the lethally soft-spoken style of Shant Misrobian on Twitter. You can follow him at ShantMM. Shant isn't the first person, of course, to become disillusioned with the media world he had staked his career in. But he is one of the shockingly few who has done something about it. Instead of wobbling along on a wave of lightheaded cognitive dissonance, he extracted himself from the LibJourno activist dream. And he has become its most quietly devastating no-bullshit critic. When the latest big idea of the world, piece of propaganda, caca shoots out from some blue check hole, Shant's method is to simply repeat the content of the message in plain, normal people language, minus the made-up Plato words that are meant to activate the activist gene. The effect is devastating and hilarious, and usually his targets have no choice but to make fun of his Armenian name. Shant currently does his longer-form work for a substack he founded called Inquire, an examination of America's political media and elite discourse, which he conducts with Zaid Jelani, and you can subscribe to their newsletter at inquiremore.com. San Francisco is probably the city where the once-famous author William Saroyan wrote the lines I quoted at the beginning of this episode, from his short story, The Armenian and the Armenian. A compressed and sanitized and fabricated misquotation of those lines appears on posters that hang in many Armenian schools and homes and social media profiles. But of course I prefer the filthier original. San Francisco is also the setting of Saroyan's Pulitzer-winning play, The Time of Your Life, later made into a movie with James Cagney, where a bunch of characters in a rundown dive bar are encouraged toward their delusions by a wealthy man with nothing better to do. I met Shant Mesrobian for the first time in person at Presidio Park to chart our respective roads to that particular edge of the Pacific and its very singular views of Alcatraz. You guys are all 50%. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm more Armenian than you. Just I by know. Height. Well, you, because your other 50% is Italian. Well, so that's basically yeah, but, the same. Yeah, exactly. Italians are not tall either. I guess they're not. I haven't even thought of it that way, but you're right. No, Italians aren't really tall either.
Not my family. I mean, I, I'm just lucky because my parents aren't tall. And I don't have any tall people in my family. Do I don't know. What's the secret? I guess just like playing bat, like uh, playing basketball and wishful thinking that I'd be an NBA player. Uh, Lacking the talent, uh -huh. but maybe I, it added a few inches right, in, right. aspirationally. I don't know. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, where do you? What part of town do you live in? Uh, I kind of close to here, like the city hall. Oh, okay. Did you say you grew up in Mer? Where all the Oh, that's right. You told me that. Yeah, in Glendale. You went to you went to Hoover, right? Or no, no, no. I went to Catholic school. Oh, okay. My my mom went out. Yeah, oh, okay, right, right. There are, there is one Armenian Catholic church over there, but just one, I believe. Oh, yeah, you know. It's small, it's a small segment, yeah, very small. I don't know a whole lot about the Armenian Catholics. I, uh, I never had a lot of interaction. I don't have any either, honestly. I, I'll, I'll, I no, only know I don't it really understand how it even happened. I don't either. I, can, I can't I mean, figure it. The Catholics it. are very good at making that happen. They're uh, good, yeah. They're, they're, they know what they're doing. I mean, there's a reason they have the brand. There's a, you know, look at Notre Dame football. It's like the national team, you know. They know how to... How's, how's San Francisco been doing? Good. Do you come here a lot? No, not, not given the fact that, given that I'm from L.A., I haven't been here that many times. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe six times. Okay. Um, I, I could be just fuzzy on the... Mm -hmm. But the years go by and I don't come. Mm. But anytime I do come, I'm like, apart from the interactions with certain unsavory locals, uh, I'm, I like, always... Are those intentional interactions you're talking about? No, I mean, just, you know, this encountering at oh, some point yeah. some sort of, like, angry, burnt-out oh, yeah, 1960s yeah. <laughs> vibe. But that's fine. But I'm, I'm, I'm more tolerant of that now than I ever was before. Well, because that's actually the last vestige of, like, I don't know, the old, the old city. It is. Like, I mean, Which I appreciate now. Right, I totally right. appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it was a luxury to complain about that back in the day, you know? Well, I was just saying yesterday when I was walking around with Glenn um, at Haight-Ashbury at night, so it was dead, but, um, you know, it occurred to me that, like, San Francisco was the kind of where it was at in three very different periods of history, at least, that mm -hmm. I can think of, like, the 20s, mm -hmm. the 60s, mm -hmm. I think the 1890s, I okay. could be wrong, but I thought I, I feel like it had a gay '90s thing going. Um, very, you know, like old. It has that old, and you know, arguably, I guess you could claim. Yeah, the the nine. Yeah, the '90s was definitely a distinct period. I would say, especially given the dot com boom and all that. Oh, I, I meant the 1890s, oh, the eight, but the oh, 1990s yeah, yeah. too. And that for the you have to you also have to throw in the dot com shit, even as much as. Yeah, I mean you have to. You have to. It is. It and, is and, monumental. Know, real world San Francisco. That was that was pivotal for me. Just in terms of uh, the dot com stuff. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, like the MTV Real World. Oh, right, right. Thousand. I, I didn't even watch. You know, I never seen you Real ne World. You never watched any Real World. I mean, other than the occasional episode that was on whenever I was flipping. I feel like for a certain segment of my generation, anyway, that was like sort of like a coming of age. Oh, it is definitely. Um, you're, I think, so if you don't mind, you're, I think you're a couple years older than me. I'm, uh, I just turned no, 30. I think, no, I'm, I think I'm younger than you, you're, sure. Oh, okay. Like 10 years younger than uh, you. So you're in your mid-20s. No, no, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> and, it, 
Everyone I'm interviewing lately is in their early to mid twenties, basically. Uh, really? You, Amanda Milius. I mean, as far you know, in my I, depiction of. Wait, did you actually believe that, my, that I'm in my mid twenties? No, I mean, I why well, I, I, I would. I I know we've discussed uh, that you're about my age. No, I'm I'm a few years older. Than you. I feel like you're right in that sweet spot of real world. Yeah, no, I am. I absolutely like, am. Yeah. I absolutely am. Because yeah. I read a lot of critics. I mean, I leave a lot of people who talk, who write about it as if it was this major life experience to watch Real World when it first came out. Yeah, it was. Well, you know what? For me, anyway, it was a few years before I was really a free person in terms of, like, you know, I guess I was sort of a preteen. Yeah. And so it was like the first kind of like taste of like what the world out there is like. I mean, that's what MTV was in the early 90s. You know, it was like, it was like this taste of like... It just exposed you to all these subjects and all these sorts of, uh, you know, just like what it was like to be a, a young American. Yeah, and I, I wasn't a young American, you know? Like, I was a young... I was so... Uh, uh, for me, it always felt fake. <laughs> because uh -huh. because um, all of reality TV felt fake because I, I, was, I, I was raised in such an Armenian... Not even like not even like the typical what you think of Glendale Armenian, where they're way more Armenian than I than my surroundings. But mine were like immigrant and Armenian enough, and sheltered in that sense enough that I felt like I felt like so different from the type of kids I was seeing on MTV. You know, oh, really? I mean, yeah. weren't, weren't you exposed at least to school? I mean, weren't these your friends? I mean, my friends were. <sighs> It's, it's, you grew up in Glendale, so you know, I mean, I guess, I don't know, my, fr I did have, I did have friends, but, okay. but, the, but friend they were, you had friends. I did have friends, right. I, this is, this is true, I won't say that I didn't have friends, um, my friends, they, they also had like, you know, they, they didn't, I don't know, MTV seemed to feature cool kids, oh, right. yeah. and my, none of my friends were like excessively cool, we were yeah. just, we just were, you know. Um, so I didn't. I never had the sense that it always seemed. Asp it, it always seemed like, oh, these are like the cool kids of high school or whatever. Right. Well, you were gonna say aspirational. Aspirational. Yeah, it was see, the second was time today. Say, I feel like if you saw it as aspirational and you thought you had a chance of being one of the cool kids, then it was cool. That yeah. Was you had but to. If you didn't think you ever had a chance, then yeah, I can see how that would be just alienating. <laughs> I probably just felt hopeless in that regard. You know, like I, the, I probably never. I didn't give it a great shot, but I, I, I never like, I, I, and it always seemed like they were kind of stupid to me. Cause you know, when you're, when you're alienated, mm -hmm. you, ju you rationalize it by thinking you're smarter mm -hmm. <laughs> as right. we know yeah. right. from um, the yeah, entire yeah. political discourse. Yeah, no, I mean, you just, you just assume that you're a nerd and then you get the theater kid phenomenon. You get that, that, that it can totally turn into that. Thankfully in my case, my superior, my, uh, I, I wasn't a nerd. I just had, we, I just had different interests and, and I felt more adult interests. Like I was, mm -hmm. I was, as I was telling you, I think I was a, I was a, a I had a, a sports card business from the age of 12. Oh, yeah. So while everyone was watching MTV mm -hmm. and being well, like, that's I'm, no shocker. You're an Armenian. You just have merchant jeans. Yeah, I do. I'm a, yeah, I have rug merchant jeans. Is this, is there another? Yeah, I think we're going down the wrong actually. It's Lost in the woods yeah. of Presidio. Well, I totally, I loved it. I, it was, I, I, every minute of my life out of school was that, and out of sports. I, I played sports a lot. Uh -huh. 
every other minute was consumed with the sports cards. Uh, every element of it was exciting to me. And I felt like a real grown-up doing it. And I think that's another reason why I didn't get into, th like the things that people, kids got into ages 12 to 15, mm -hmm. I didn't. Mm -hmm. Like I was only into sports and, um, and car and business and cards. Well, see, that's the, the difference though, is that plenty of kids, especially in our era, you know, were into car. I mean, that was the, I would say the late 80s, early 90s was like a big explosion in sports It was cards, huge. Right? It was it was the big I explosion. I mean, it was like, it was considered to be even sort of an overproduction period mm -hmm. of cards, right? Where yeah, it, didn't, it fell off a cliff after that. Right, because they just kind of, uh, you know, overproduced and just kind of got out of hand. But, I mean, most kids were, I mean, there were many kids into cards. There weren't kids turning it into businesses. Oh yeah, no, I mean, there was a few kids that were doing what I was doing now that when I look back, they're like, well, somebody like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, what's oh, his name, right. Gary V, he was in... The wine guy. Is he the wine guy? Well, he started off. So yeah, I feel, you know what's funny is that I think there's like this whole era of internet that people don't know, like a lot of people, like a lot of the names you know of like, everyone's just a fucking influencer now. So yeah. No one knows how they got there. It's but, all blended together now. Right, right. Everyone just, you know, anyone who is successful just transitioned into the influencer, um, you know, thing. But like he started off as selling wine online. Yeah. Interesting. And he just kind of turned it into this kind of like influencer thing. And now he just talks about, you know, how everyone needs to be on TikTok. Right. Because you, you get your whatever he has his things right like he was saying he has this he has a mantra about the importance of your voice i haven't heard about his tiktok yeah no i mean that's that's for what i've noticed is that he basically like every big pep talk he, he just gets paid for like these big pep talks and he's just telling a bunch of like gen xers and boomers that they really need to get on tiktok to build their brands yeah exactly build their brand but anyway, yeah, he's, he got big into sports cards. Yeah, he, that's what I, I, I learned during the pandemic. I watched some of his sports card YouTube videos. Well, right. which I didn't, because I didn't know that coincidentally, just as I had decided to revisit my inventory, uh -huh. which had been stashed away ever since I lost interest yeah. in business, in commerce, and moved right. toward art and literature in high school. Terrible decision. Really, talk about like talk about putting like pushing my chips to the wrong side of the table yeah and so much so that i have been telling this now ruefully there's a card that i sold off when i was getting rid of like the easiest easiest things to get rid of at the time yeah first of all all the like uns the unopened boxes that i sold off have appreciated ridiculously what is this like during the pandemic period uh, no, this is when I first got out of the... This is when I first got out of the... Uh, I sold some stuff off when I first stopped doing the... I first stepped out of the business right. at 15. Right. And I, I resumed... I returned to all the stashed away inventory around 2018, uh -huh. 2019, before the pandemic. Okay. But, during, but around that time, and then especially during the pandemic, uh -huh. there's been a huge... Uh, renaissance of the sports right. is cards. Is it like every other asset where it just kind of exploded, just like, you know, houses and everything? Um, it's a little, a little bit... Something to do with that? It's a little bit more specific. It, it is. It, it does have to do with the fact that people had all this extra money to spend. Right, right. But it was already um, up. Oh, okay. It was already going up because, according to Gary Vee, uh -huh. that makes sense, like, our types of 
people our age and a little older and his, his age ha started having kids mm -hmm. and getting their kids into cards because it was yeah, our yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of his explanation for it. Well, like, especially when it comes to players who like are Jordan or Kobe who are uh -huh. e kind of eternally valuable. Yeah. They're, the number of cards that exist of them, the good ones, they're, you know, they're finite. Yeah. And the number of the, the market for them it can only grow as more right. and more right. kids are inducted, so blah, blah, right. blah. Right. Including, same with Pokemon, mm -hmm. which, but I sold a card that probably for $1,300 into the year 2000, I was very excited to get $1,300 for it. It's probably worth six figures now. Mm -hmm. I just saw Wait, how much? a six figures. It's got to be worth six figures now. Which card was this? This is a <laughs> Tim Duncan. It's called. It, it's a. Duncan? It's an insert card. It's a six figure Tim Duncan card. Well, you're, I mean, listen. No, no offense to Tim. Well, Duncan no, but his Duncan, his rookie year. Uh -huh. There's a card that there's only ten of them made, uh -huh. and you don't have, and you 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 have not seen ten of them. Like they're, they're they're the hardest card to find, hardest insert like parallel card to find. The Kobe Bryant of that year, uh -huh. just auctioned off for two million dollars. What? The Jordan from that same year. Uh -huh. Four years ago, auctioned off for 400 grand. I'm sure it would be worth seven figures, even in these four. What, what year was this? 97, 98. 97, 98. Yeah, so I had the fucking Tim Gunn, which is his rookie year yeah. Yeah. of that card. Uh -huh. So I'm just, based on the two million that Kobe got, I'm just. Yeah, right. There was a Duncan that sold for 40 grand right. four years ago, and I'm, okay. I, I think it's gotta be six figures now. Yeah. You just don't see these and anymore. How did you get? So you got rid of that. I got rid of that back when I, you know, first like I was like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm no longer into business. Yeah. yeah. So I'll sell the easiest stuff that I could sell. Right. Thankfully, I didn't sell a bunch of book Pokemon boxes, which have appreciated immensely. Wow. That I had, you know, I didn't even know I had them. But how did you? How did you get your hands on Pokemon? Well, it was just right before I right before I ended uh -huh. operation. Yeah. It, it was the next it was the new fad oh, so everybody was got their hands on it you would go basically you would hustle to get get it straight from the reach from like when they'd go on sale for forty dollars a box at the kb toys or wherever yeah. you you just try to hoard you know they did have limits on how much you could buy uh -huh. but you would instantly be able to resell it for like you know whatever 80 bucks yeah something like you know, not not a huge thing but it was just uh, this huge thing that opened up and it felt like the next Beanie Babies, mm -hmm. which had just petered out. Mm -hmm. So I was, in, I, was I was in it during Beanie Baby phase too. But oh, Beanie really? Babies fell off a cliff, whereas uh -huh. Pokemon has continued for 20 years. I see. So now you have all these kids that yeah, are see, into it. I mean, this is proof that like, this wasn't even really a sports thing so much as like a, a merchant. It was a merchant thing, but mm. <laughs> me being me, I, I have, my business sense is nil. And I and I and I, I approached it in a, through a passion. Like I, on principle, refused to deal with hockey cards because I don't like hockey. <laughs> on principle, I refused to deal with WNBA right. because give me a break. Right. Like, <laughs> so I had Did these you see principles. That video of the you see. WNBA parade. The lesbian parade? No. <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, they, they. I mean, it was this kind of funny online meme where it was like. Basically, just like no one showed up to the parade. They were just driving down. Was street. it a championship parade or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. And they were just driving down the street. Like there was no. <laughs> it was one like on the, the lowest street. traffic of any. Yeah, of it, any. yeah, right. It was just like it wasn't like a real. Parade. It was just like a bunch of basketball players 
kind of like sitting in these open air, you know, <laughs> waving at literally no one. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. What city was it? I don't you know. I have to I look this up because it's, it's funny. Yeah, no, it's a really funny video. Uh, I think it was, I don't know, I think it, it was online sometime in the past few months. It might be, uh, I'm I'll have to look okay. it up. So no, no WNBA cards. No, no, no WNBA cards, no hockey cards. Those are my two big exclusions. I, I was just like, when anytime something that struck me as uh, stupid and gay uh-huh. ter- was, was, was trending, I was like, I'm not. No. I'm only interested in the things that I actually like. Well, so okay. I did have a, I was idealistic, which is why I wasn't a good businessman. How, how, so why did you transition to the, uh, to the art? Well, I, <laughs> I wrote... Probably because it makes better business sense at the time too. Well, Knowing there was a bit. That's what it was. It made it made even then. Even then, it made spiritual business sense for me to be like, well, what am I going to do mm-hmm. if I like as a long-term goal? What is money going to buy me? And I right. and I did the math that the the only thing I really would want to own mm-hmm. if I if I became rich mm-hmm. was the Lakers, and they oh. don't seem like they're going to be sold mm-hmm. in my life. Like that yeah. family's holding on. Yeah. So verse, that versus, I wrote this, my first ever thing in high school, in 10th grade, was this thing about, well, I was like just an article um, about affirmative action. And it was like, you know, I was being naughty and full of jokes and stuff. And it got, and it got this like such a response from just, you know. Where did you pop? Like us on campus. Okay, like, campus. Right. Yeah, like we, I, I started a newsletter, a newspaper on high, in my high school campus yeah. and distributed around with my friend and the reaction it got was such that it was like a drug it was like oh shit I just caused this uproar I always had the kind of like performer mm-hmm. thing in me so mm-hmm. that was latently there was this your first kind of foray in politics first foray in everything yeah in politics oh interesting yeah okay so yeah, see that that stuff can get really if, if you get a response if you get a rise out of people yeah and you like that kind of thing that stuff is like a drug it was you know? that's what it was and I was like hooked yeah. and I was like from then on and, and, and for me, I mean, it's like, like Twitter. It's like the, you know, it's like the, um, the analog version of Twitter is what you experience. Yeah, like, except you know, that, it's that dopamine hit. The dopamine hit, except even more profound because Twitter, you experience it, as you know. I mean, you know, you have a, you have a presence where you experience it on the daily, but. Right, right. But for, for, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. I so would you, say worse. you're entrenched, which is good. I mean, it's yeah. it's good in the sense that you you vote. I mean, it's an outlet. That's for sure. That's the best I can put. Well, you have a. Gr- I mean, you're one of. You somehow have this Twitter presence where all you ever do is post the truth, and you do it in this deadpan tone, which is so deadpan that it's like its own comedic style. Right. Just just the sheer like you're un you're you never kind of um, what's the word like. You never t- you never uh, uh, you tip your hand in terms of emotional, like yeah, right. like you're just very you you're, you're always very calm and it makes it even, I think it makes people hate the haters hate even more because they have nothing <laughs> right. to you know, <laughs> right. there's nothing they can they can point to and say aha right, yeah I wish I could say it was like sort of like it was premeditated or planned. But, I mean, that's the way people have been describing me my whole life. Oh, it really? It's a, it's your, okay, I wanted to get into your whole life. Yeah. No, specifically, that's, that's, your whole life. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> well, how do you well, got, I mean, how you no, ever... All, what's that? How you got from Glendale to being the, uh, you know, like the, the sniper on Twitter who 
the deadpan sniper of Twitter. Oh, right. And through through the through uh, basically writing for left left lefty publications, it seems the last mm -hmm. decade, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting tra trajectory. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, after I graduated from from college, I um, I mean, I was a very late kind of convert to you know politics and you know issue based stuff, advocacy, that sort of thing. Like, you know, late, you know. I would say senior year, I just decided I would, you know, major in political science because that seemed like the only thing that was really interesting at the time. So I kind of declared a late major and I graduated. I had no plans really. Where would you go to school? USC. Oh, no yeah, shit. Oh. LA, yeah. oh, you're my rival then. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, did you go to UCLA? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even Yeah. I graduated from UCLA. I went to UCSB my first two years and transferred. Oh, okay. But UCLA was my yeah. school growing up. Oh. Uh, well, you know, lucky for you, I, uh, I never had that whole kind of rah-rah institutional loyalty thing, mm -hmm. so I'm not, uh, I don't feel threatened at all. You're right far now. too impartial to fall for that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm above that. I'm above all of it. You're the very image of indifference yeah. as a yeah. virtue, not as a, people use it the wrong way all the time, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As if, you know, but anyway, disinterest. No, I mean, what I was sort of radicalized by, and I guess this was my senior year? Yeah, 2001, was, um, you know, 9-11, War on Terror, all that. I mean, that's what really kind of pulled me in and got me really in. I mean, I As was, an anti-war person, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was a big Dick Cheney fan. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Big no, Dick I mean, Cheney. We yeah. saw that picture of him with the trousers with the heart on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's what really kind of pulled me in and got me really invested. And that's when I started kind of reading all the... Uh, all the lib stuff, you know, all the leftist stuff. Chomsky, Momsky. Yeah, exactly. Zin, you know, the Zin, nation. my nemesis in high school, because I was I was right wing from the start. Right, right. Which I was prepped by for it by my in by my mercantile history, and yeah, yeah and I and 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 people's history of the United States by Howard Zinn uh -huh. was assigned in high school, assigned in U.S. history, really? uh, AP history. Wow. Yeah, so I was very so alarmed about that. Yeah, see, me going to Catholic school, there wasn't much of that influence, you know. I was, I was getting, you know, pro-life like classes and stuff. Oh, yeah, know? totally different Just upbringing. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, very different. Even though we're not that far away from each other, it's like wildly different. I'm, I'm, going, I'm getting the West Side public school, you oh, know, LAUSD, yeah. libtarded. Pally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a very I, different influence. Wildly, and, and, and yet it was still, I mean, it was, I have, I have a very fond, uh, I have a very fond um, ex high school uh, association. Like, my, my, my feelings about high school are totally positive. Oh, really? Despite everything you might think, yeah. Huh. Why? I, 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 well, it's a sort of a pattern that repeats itself, I guess, you know, so long as I think of it as a pattern, but I had this sort of, story arc in high school where I went from being a nobody to uh -huh. like, a, like a weirdo who's like not really popular uh -huh. or anything and being weird and Armenian my best friend at the time uh, I met in middle school was like the only other Armenian in school mm -hmm. and we kind of became intellectual partners in crime mm -hmm. got into all of these things together got into literature together politics together mm -hmm. you know uh, 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 polemics together mm -hmm. the whole thing and so it's kind of together we and I was sort of, I wasn't, I was sort of a class clown, but like, 
intellectual, you know, version because I was reading all this shit starting in 10th grade. So I had all these contrary opinions about the environmentalism in science class and the, uh, you know, Howard Zinn in history and, you know, uh, uh, capitalism and whatever, like uh, all the typical things. So I was super... But you had to have some influences pointing you in that direction. Well, the influences... I mean, it's it's hard to kind of... I mean, I don't know. I'd be super impressed, and I'm sure there are plenty of examples of, like, young kids who just naturally, like, come up with this philosophy. But, like, usually you've got to kind of have the the scales fall off in a kind of intentional way. It's, it's, It's interesting in my case, because what happened is, it's, you know, it was basic... It was very... It was very individual, if, you know, considering, like, considering that it, you, it, there's always an environmental factor. And for me, the environmental factor was the, the number one environmental factor had to be talk radio, which... Yeah, and, and listen, L.A. talk radio is amazing. There's nothing like it. it the there was... I, 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 I spent five hours a day in the car uh-huh. my entire life like yeah you know it's like well you answered my question I mean, you don't even need to that's it right well that's and, and that, mean, yeah even me as kind of a a kid that who was raised as a democrat um but more of like a you know i was raised in not in a professional class household right um, right well what was your household what was the, your parent what was so, your so my dad ran ran a uh, a corner store like a store oh nice so i mean I he's like me yeah, so I mean, I didn't grow up in a professional class lib style. It was Democrat because they were sort of New Deal style, like old style Democrats, you know, right. social Democrats. But, right. Um, union types. Yeah, right. And, right. But not that he's you union. Know, no, not that he's union, but, you know, it was more like, you know, the Democratic Party of like 60s, 70s. Yeah. 70s, you know, stand up for the little guy thing, right? Right. Um, wasn't fully sort of taken over by the new left in the way that, you know, at this point it is. Right. Um, but even then, I remember when, you know, I spent a lot of time in the car too, obviously, growing up in yeah. LA. And especially with my dad, who was, you know, my dad was not like some conservative, like Republican or whatever, but we always had talk radio. And it was usually right wing talk radio because it's honestly the most interesting, intellectually stimulating thing on the radio. There was never any, there's never been, even to this day, any good liberal radio. No. There's, there's literally nothing to listen to that's stimulating or can even inspire any sort of dialogue, right? No, and yeah. Growing up, it was, I mean, who was it? It was Larry Elder. Larry Elder Dennis was a big Prager. one for me. Prager, uh, Limbaugh, of course, made it. Well, was Limbaugh, not that national, he was LA, but right. he's on LA, but he was all, you know, he was on Ingram, KFI. Right? LA? Uh, Lorigan was, I think, yeah, later than my time in terms of when I was listening, but yeah, she was right. on, on Dennis Prager's like 870 or something. Right. For me, it was Larry Elder, yeah. number one. Um, Limbaugh had been in my ears, but since kindergarten, because that's my, you know, my dad would listen and stuff. But right. as like in terms of like when I was paying attention and when uh-huh. things kind of unfolded, it was it was it was Larry Elder. Mm-hmm. John and Ken was all were also you know they they started out as libs I feel, I, as I recall, huh. but then they became quite conservative, especially when the Gray Davis recall happened, which oh, they were like yeah. almost single handedly responsible for. Uh, Hugh Hewitt, was he back then too, or did he come? I don't remember him on the air in those days, yeah. in, in, in L.A. Yeah. I'm sure he was somewhere else, yeah. or yeah. he could have been nationally on one of the things. Yeah. But, and then Larry Elder was followed, I mean, you know, by, it, it was a combination of, t- of the cumulative intri- uh, uh, dynamism of talk radio, and I think just like 
I'm trying to think. I, I also felt I also felt like what like the the few dollars I made from my business, which I had to pay a third of or whatever to taxes, <laughs> didn't right. feel fu- didn't feel fun yeah, to me. Yeah, I mean, you got red pilled. I got red pilled in many from many different directions. Yeah. The one that I didn't that wasn't really my, the interesting part is like my family was split, Democrat Republican, and oh, okay. so. There was an outspoken faction on my dad's side that oh, were was always it a gender split. It was shocker. It was, shocker. but and they were they were also split. They're divorced, so okay. it was a, it was like this thing. Yeah, and I remember well, it, it just added more fuel. To yeah, the it added more fuel, and I'll never forget. And she, this is something that's denied because uh-huh. my mother, thanks to me, uh-huh. in during those years, came t- totally turned around. Oh really? Yeah. And so you red pilled your mom. I red pilled my that's mom so like hard. It's a very unique. Situation. It's very hard now. Nowadays, because nowadays there's this thing called the fucking view. Have oh my god, view? I've heard it that is. existed back then. Oh, did it? When wow. well, the fucking view more, was on back then, not well, that's no. even more to your credit that you were able to do it despite the view being on TV. Because the view today is the most radicalizing force in American female culture. I can't believe that's a f- I, why, why, who's watching this shit? All of them. I can't believe I think it. All of them. Bunch of clucking, like. I mean, it would be fine if they were funny, but right. fuck. Well, there's no humor on that show at all. Well, there's it's this... Just, it's just norm-enforcing poison. Po- absolute poison. Yeah, f- funny you should say norm-enforcing, because Norm MacDonald has a oh. historic uh, appearance on The View back in, like, 2000. That's... No. I haven't seen this? Oh, yeah, you got to see this. Oh, my God. How did this... You don't go? even get the full... You have to hear him tell the story to get the full, because, like, the clip that exists is only, like... I'm shocked that YouTube hasn't removed it. Just... I mean, just listen. It's me. hilarious because oh, what funny. he says, he goes, he goes up there, and he's like, did and it's like 2000, so they're talking about Bill Clinton. They're 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 grilling him for having like, uh, sh- uh, taken a picture with George Bush, and he's like, oh, he seems like a nice guy. I mean, didn't Bill Clinton kill a man? <laughs> and they go nuts and they start circling and like oh slapping God. him it's like they're oh, yeah, like yeah. Barbara Walters is like pushing yeah. his face and like it's, it's like this they're like hens that are just, just <laughs> they're just attacking him at that from that point on oh man I miss him so much oh yeah I, I, it's really unfair that he's dead based comedian was he the only in terms of what, well there are others street, well, but yeah, in terms of like who are star. great yeah right in terms of great I mean he's yeah. I, there are barely any great comedians based yeah. or not yeah, yeah. he was definitely the most profoundly based one I mean there's like you know there's guys like Nick DiPaolo who are, have always been who's not yeah. at that level but yeah. you know but famously like Republican Dennis Miller too. is a famously you know well, but again yeah. he became but, less know, of a the problem com- is that most of them for some reason don't really know how to pull it off Immediately, I have to be honest. Yeah, I just don't yeah. think they know how to do it because yeah. they're always so on the nose. They turn into pundits. Yeah, that's a pr- that's the problem. Comedians. Yeah, and Norm Macdonald never turned into a pundit. No, he, he didn't. never did. He was never trying to teach you something. He was never trying to, um, you know, he was never lecturing, right? No, never. He was just being funny. Yeah, that that's um, that that's the ma- that's the magic trick he had is that he. I mean, went. I think Louis C.K. Well, he's not based, but he's, What's I mean... It? No, 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 he's not. But he's a, yeah, he's a... But he, 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 he slips that in every now and then. I mean, there. I, I think he can pull it off here and there. But, like, as an overall persona, no. I mean, he, he, you know, he, like most of them, I think he, you know, he tries to make sure that he isn't identified that way. Right. You know? He's a little bit less, um, he's a little bit de- more DJF now. 
than he was when he was Mr. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, know. he's, I mean, you kind of, that's the only, that's the only benefit of, uh, you know, experiencing what he did. Is yeah. He can just go YOLO, right? Yeah, he, which, he, which he sort of has done. He still, he still tried to donate to fucking Joe Biden's campaign, but right. whatever. Like, I don't care. I don't even care as long as it doesn't poison the material the way it does with, for example, yeah, and I don't think it's really... I mean, I literally just watched his special... Um, yeah. Sorry. I think yeah. Sorry, right? Sorry. Is that the newest one, or is that I the one? that's the newest one. That's the newest one. So that's that's the one I saw live. I did an episode Yo, of this. you saw that live? Yeah. Oh, basically, right. I mean, I wasn't... Not the recording, but the show that became right. the special. Right, right, right. When he was in Long Beach, yeah. Oh. I, I did an episode of this around going to it. And oh, yeah. No, with that, my friend. I mean, I thought, you know, I thought it was... Um, yeah, I mean, it seemed to me like he was pretty, like, he was pretty freed from, like, the, uh, from the experience, right? yeah. you know, like, he wasn't, he wasn't holding back because of any of it, it wasn't like an apology tour. No, he'd already done his pseudo-apology, he did a special during the pandemic where he addressed right, it right, right, right. for 20 minutes, but I appreciated the way he addressed it, which was non-apologetic. So no, he's he's up there. Like, he's really funny. He's he's right. He's in my top two. Right. Long, you know, like. Oh really? Wait, Norm. So Norm is number Louis? one. Okay. And then and 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 then it would be Louis. I mean, there's also I don't know how much you know about Patrice O'Neill, who died. Oh, Patrice was amazing. But he was amazing, and he's oh right up God. there. I mean, yeah, he got away with a lot. Do you think he would get away with that stuff today? You, well, what the, do you? The think? great big. It's the great I mean, mystery of our times. These kind of bullshit questions, I guess. Yeah. You know what? What would have happened? I mean, you can never really say. But I don't know. What do you think? Could he say that stuff? Today? It would have. It would have been. It's. It, it's. 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 It's more like. What would he have done? He was going to be saying that stuff. Yeah. You know, continually through the 2010s. At a certain point, there was going to be. Well, there was going to be a, a hit for him. At yeah. Some point, and sure. then the question is, what would he have done in response to that? Would he do what Dave Chappelle does, which is, you know. Yeah, I mean, Dave, Dave kind of cracked, right? Uh, Dave, Dave, yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he presents that he doesn't, but he does, he, he kind of has, does. No, like, I mean, the, the, the thing is, the thing is, is that you can't, it's kind of a binary thing, right? Like, that's why you said earlier that Louis C.K. is not based. And I think that's because if you make sure at strategic points to kind of slip in a, hey, nod, wink, I'm not one of the bad people. Yeah. Then it's over. Then it's yeah. not like you're, you're still sort of. You know, and I don't blame people for people need careers, right? People, yeah. People need to be able to put food on the table and whatever. But at the end of the day, like that is how you submit, right? Is by every now and then, but not in the wink. Yeah, not in the wink, and and. And that's not something Norm ever did. No, he never did that. He and, and if he did do it, he did it in a in a manner that was entirely farcical. You know, right. if he apologized, he apologized in a in a way that was basically making fun of the fact that he's giving an apology right. uh, I mean he got I mean fucking Norm got his Netflix show cancelled because he he had the audacity to say to make a comment about Roseanne and Louis C.K. you know like yeah. that's for that he got right. Right. Uh, like just it's hor like just like ugly shit and then I mean with Louis you know I don't want to be ungenerous because I really do think that He's great at what he does. Yeah. And I do think that his libtardery is honest to the degree it can be. Like you he's think so? I never know. I mean I, I don't I don't think I'm in a place to say. But like, you know, watching that whole thing about like how he thinks how like gender fluidity is awesome. And well yeah, and, have, and yeah. Know, the ability 
and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Is that stuff strategic? Is he trying to kind of straddle the line? And just Part like, of it hey, is... you can't pin yeah. me down or whatever. Or... It's being honest. Well, the honest, yeah, you're right. That's where it gets. That's where it gets murky because what ha what's, what that is is like multiple issues there. When he's saying that gender fluidity is great, he's he's setting up a joke where the yeah, punchline is going to be that it's that it's ruining society. <laughs> so, in, in technique-wise, oh, this is a cemetery that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. Uh, technique-wise. Yeah, we're we're surrounded by a lot of dead corpses right now. Well, I mean, dead corpses are my favorite kind of corpses. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, well, are there special, is there a, does it take something special to be buried here? Uh, good question. What? I don't, I can't tell really what, if this is, if you need to pay like a special, being a special club to be in this This is a very place. prime real estate to get, to be dead in. Yeah. Because you've got pretty, the view of the bay and the bridge. Yeah, you probably should, you probably had to have done something. I'm gonna put this down and take a picture. Uh, do you want to take, do you want to be in a picture? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Uh, hold on. There might be a better vantage point. Oh yeah, we got that. Alcatraz through like this through the gate. You know what? Maybe we should do it when we hit uh, inspiration point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Up it's higher. a great view. Yeah. Then we'll do that. So, yeah. So in, in my case, I literally I got I got into it. I got into disputation like a full year before 9/11, and then 9/11 inflamed it too. Mm -hmm. You know, like. But in what way? I mean, well, I felt like I mean I was I was in the way of like we're under attack and like oh, yeah. yeah like I was totally. Um, you're a patriot. Right? Patriot, yeah, 100% patriot. Yeah. Patriotism, and I, and I felt like I, I, I didn't. It felt like, like to me, my my hawkishness at the time, or my vulnerability to that uh -huh. propaganda, was all rooted in like, well, how could you not want to stand up now for mm -hmm. your country? You just got, you just got, like, you can't right. let them do this to your country. Right. Um, and it was a beautiful time. Like that, I still one of my favorite moments in life is is remembering the initial reaction the unity that oh, followed yeah. that i don't think we'll ever see anything like that again here right i don't I, it's I, impossible to I, imagine i can't imagine it i cannot imagine it, it was very short-lived 
but it was it was there like i remember a black woman just standing on the corner of franklin where i'm at my stomping grounds with a big american flag just like by herself yeah just like spontaneous uh just like people like gathering on the street and expressing patriotism in hollywood in like the most you know like crazy um and you know obviously iraq fucked all that up but it was also it was also pretty there was a lot of you know the Chomskyist sentiment the the we deserved it sentiments were there from the beginning and that was yeah i mean well yeah i mean i wouldn't call it the we deserved i mean yes there was a we deserved for sure that Uh, that did exist for sure um there was sort of a slightly adjacent perspective there which was like okay it's more com- you know, it's more complicated than right. yeah. Um, I think those two things were compatible, right? Like the whole like let's band together, let's we're in this together. And oh, of course. Something right. That's com- that was. Com- but you know that that sort of thing that is never. It's you know very hard to give that sort of thing life in you know. It's when you just it, yeah, especially in especially during the funeral period, you know. Yeah, right, right. It's just it is very difficult and. But I mean, it never happened, right? I mean, that never right. really. I mean, there was never really that approach to the whole thing. No, there was never a patriotic anti-war approach, as no, far as I could no. tell. And that was, that's where... And that's what's very different about this moment right now, I think, with political realignment happening right now. There's an interesting thing springing up where I think there are people who are not at all coming from that tradition of, um, you know... Uh, the sort of the Chomskyite tradition. The 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 lashing, yeah, like the 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 masochistic regarding America's like, right. yeah, um, it's yeah, the, you're right. The America KKK. Yeah, the America, yeah, that whole shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that. There is something interesting, and you have to you have to give credit to the Trump realignment for creating that, right? I mean, of course. There is, there is a very interesting anti-establishment dissident, you know, anti-war thing happening. Um, you know, in fact, right now, if you look at Russia and Ukraine, m- most of the most of the skepticism I'm seeing is actually coming from the right. It's There's like, a very small contingent of the left that has not been subsumed into the liberal kind of professional class leftism, quote unquote. Right. right the, which the, is just like we we're liberals who say bad words, bullshit. Right. There yeah. is a strain of that that still, but that's it's like three people. Yeah, right. it's <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, even the fucking, even fucking like, uh, even the most like supposedly f- far out lefties and so on are like cucking for the cucking for military involvement in oh, Ukraine. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's all one closed network now where everyone just kind of they take their orders and they right. They it's follow a, them. It's, it's just different levels of DNC messaging, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as as you know, so I'm cu- so so you're in college. You get you kind of get involved. You get involved in the anti-war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I you know dissent dis- dissidents. Yeah, right. And so you know, and that's where I kind of start to get an idea of oh well, maybe I could do something related to this with my life. You know, I started writing a little bit for the newspaper, um, writing anti-war. The Daily stuff. Trojan. Not the no. Daily Trojan. We started an alternative newspaper. Oh, right. No, so did I. And, um, and so that sort of launched me into this, oh, well, you know, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to maybe do this for a living. This could be fun, you know, writing stuff and trying to, you know, create some fun in the, uh, in the political system. And so 
you know, I started reading some of the magazines and stuff, and I looked in the back of them, and I was like, well, all the offices are in Washington, D.C., so I guess I just have to move to Washington, yeah. D.C., you know? And so I just decided to um, take a chance, take a trip out to the East Coast. You know, I'd never, I had never traveled outside of California. Oh, wow. Um, my first time outside of uh, California, um, and first time on the East Coast. Um, and, you know, I spent a couple weeks in D.C., crashed with some friends, and um, found an apartment there. Came back to L.A., gathered my stuff, moved to D.C., and I basically was in and out of D.C. for the next, you know, 15 years of my life. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and I was, but I was firmly ensconced in the, uh, you know, in the, in the lib world at that time, in the anti-Bush, um, you know, anti-war on terror. I, um... You know, I started off actually in, um, in a pretty, pretty, uh, not, you know, pretty apolitical, uh, journalistic environment. I, uh, worked at Congressional Quarterly. <laughs> That's very funny, because my first gig in D.C. was reporting on Congress for Roll Call. Oh, really? Like, as an intern, yeah. That's funny, because eventually, you know, Roll Call bought Congressional <laughs> Quarterly. They merged. Yeah. That's um, very funny. But, yeah, no, it was... It was a great way to kind of learn. It was like getting a degree in just like Washington. Um, getting like another degree in Washington, how you know DC works and stuff. So that was that was a great way to start that experience. But um, you know, when that's I was there literally when the Iraq War launched. Um, you know, I was just sitting at my desk there watching the you know statue of Saddam topple. Right. We all knew what was the WMDs were alive. I mean, it was just obvious. Everyone right. knew everything. But I was looking around, and all the journalists and everyone working there, all the reporters, no one was questioning anything. No one was saying anything. This is during the time where, like, the only place you could get any dissidents was, like, the li liberal blogosphere. Right, right. Like the, the, the heydays of the blogosphere, basically. Right. That was the heydays. That was the, yeah. That was 2002, 2003, Yeah. Um... That's and back when the blogosphere was just like, there was truly a place where independent voices were kind of flourishing, doing their own thing, rambling, ranting, and... Right, right. Yeah, it, you know. And it felt edgy at the time. Yeah. Looking back on it now, you know, I think you can come away having different thoughts about it, just, just seeing how, like, all the people at that time just kind of revealed themselves to be... You know, blue checks. Just, yeah, they all became exactly. blue checks. Exactly. I, 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 that's my, I mean, and, and that, like, uh, one of the many things, like, one of the things that has most been um, made sense to me is that, oh, yeah, it makes sense that all those people who I always felt something was off about, I always felt something, yeah. uh, you know, culminating in my time in D.C. where I didn't hit it off at all with anyone, pretty much, and I was just like, this just, there, there was something spiritually off, and sure enough, they all became... Like, maybe there's one or two exceptions that I'm not, you know, thinking of, but... No, there really are. I, I, you know, I can't think of any exceptions, and I'm pretty well, you know, familiarized with that whole crew, and it just seems to me that, you know, if you switched the teams at the time, I don't know that any of them would have done anything they did, said anything they said at the time, you know? I mean, right. It's absolutely shocking. It, it, it is, it is. It's, I, you know, I guess, okay, if we're talking ex exceptions, the first time I was aware of Glenn Greenwald, it was uh -huh. during those days. And he had yeah, a blog, I mean, listen, Insta Pundit. What was his blog? He had something. Oh, it was, uh, 
Because I was rem- called, it was a, I think it was a blog spot blog called Unclaimed Territory. Oh, I don't remember that name for some reason, yeah. but I, I remember him being quoted frequently by Andrew Sullivan. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you consider Glenn part of that phenom- that blogosphere phenomenon, yeah. which I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure I would because he was always so kind of um, unique and okay. iconic during that time. I mean, he would he would sometimes disagree. I mean, with a lot of that scene. So. Mm-hmm. But if you did, then yeah, he'd be the exception, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting lost now in the Presidio. Dead, oh no, this is right. Yeah. Trying to think of a single other. Yeah, basically <laughs> someone who couldn't just be slotted in as the DNC press secretary right now. Right now, yeah. I don't exactly. know. That Including all the libertarians. Like, that's where I'm like, yeah, like oh, who, you little bitches. You? Well, like well, no, Julian Sanchez oh, is somebody right, I knew at the right, time. Right, right, Dave right. Weigel. So you're talking about reason, the Reason Crew. Right? The Reason. Well, J- Julian Sanchez was Cato, but oh, basically, okay. basically the Reason. Yeah, I mean, same, it's a crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. and Dave Weigel was Reason. Dave right, Weigel, who right. he was I a big Ron Paul guy at the time. Right? He was a big Ron Paul guy, and he wrote some good pieces about Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, at at the time, and I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, how? Like, this is the trajectory y'all were on. But what explains it is that, you know, yeah, they might have been at Reason, but all those people were friends with who? Matthew Iglesias. Exactly. They were all sucking Ezra Klein's dick. They were all, <laughs> su- they were all sucking their dicks. I, I was, it was so obvious. And I didn't at the time, you know, Ezra Klein was like, he went to UCLA as well. And he's from Irvine. And he wrote, like, he wrote a letter to the editor against one of my best friends, Collins, at, UC, at the Daily Bruin. And... I didn't have a strong animosity to him or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just that he was an obvious, full-on liptard from the get. Right. Like, that was his thing. Um, and he put a, an intellectual, or he put out like a, a reasonable sheen on it, but that's all there ever was if you scratch the surface of his commentary or thoughts. Plus, beyond which, he did things like, right, I'll never forget this. He wrote a blog post, um... Uh, rejecting, like, dismissing Joan Didion's romantic writings about the Santa Ana winds. And that really pissed me off. Because if there's one thing you don't want to do in my presence, uh-huh. it's demystify or it's de- you know, de-romanticize any fucking thing about L.A. Because it's, yeah. it's just very... Li- there's, there's precious few right. literary... Uh, in ca- uh, crystallizations of like LA mm-hmm. mythology and that was one of them was her writings about the Santa Ana winds and he yeah. was like oh I grew up in uh, Irvine and they didn't really <laughs> matter nope we never noticed uh. <laughs> he added his wonk perspective he added his fucking his wonk facts and logicking <laughs> of the Santa fucking Ana winds <laughs> I mean I was so like I was just I'm like what you know whatever pick your wojack for what my response to that was and that was like way back when like 2000 Seven, eight, whatever. So, but that, but that was representative too of the artlessness of that entire fucking crew. Right. They were all such hipster know-it-alls right. about at, about everything. And I remember people dismissing, like you know, like they were like PJ O'Rourke is over the hill, and so I was a bi- I was very influenced by PJ O'Rourke. Okay. I was going to say contra- I mean, you really are a spiritual boomer, is what I, I really am. Yeah, I am a spiritual boomer I mean, all the way. A, you're you're just completely through music. Everything, yeah. uh, uh, every which way, I'm a fuck, I'm a spiritual fucking boomer. Yeah. So I read all of PJ's books in tenth grade. Uh-huh. So in, what I'm saying is like, while well, talk radio was the initial thing, yeah. I did get into reading, uh-huh. like 
specifically P.J. O'Rourke. Mm -hmm. And that was an, that was, that's what kind of gave me the impetus, I think, to write the kind of style I did, you know, those firecracker op-eds uh -huh, uh -huh. in a manner that and was... And you were giving your peers a taste of something they had no idea no, what completely. they were dealing with. Not only my peers, my teachers. Oh, okay, yeah. They didn't have any idea. They, they were, to them it was all, so that's what, one of the reasons why it became such a, it stuck, is like, everyone was so dazzled by, I mean, say everyone, I just mean like, whoever read it, mm -hmm. paid attention, was like, you know, you had their attention. Like, and, and it felt like, you felt like you were really, some, you were really doing something nobody else was, and it gave a certain confidence that, uh, allowed me to craft a niche for myself in high school, uh -huh. you know? Um, and, you know, that's the kind of the, why I have such a good, good feelings about high school. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I guess what, you know, it, it, what strikes me is that, again, like there was, you know, if you look back at that time, this crew of people, they may have been kind of in their own different and opposing institutions, but if they socialize, that's sort of the, um, the uh, the Rosetta Stone to figuring out why people do what they do now, right? Right. Is because they're part of the same social cohort. Of course. They're part of the same class, and they're really getting. At the end of the day, they're getting their prestige. They're getting their, you know, their salary. They're getting everything essentially of value in their lives from the same institution, the same place, is the same cohort. And I think there was, you know. They're trying before, to impress each other right, all the I mean, time. Before this decade, I think you could do that without, while maintaining some sort of independence. But I think with just so much of the consolidation um, and with so much, um, and just the environment changing, I think now you see classes really... Um, ossifying. Ossifying and really taking on distinct identities, right? Um, not to get too Marxist to you. <laughs> no, you, can, you, can, you but, can whip the Marx out. But, I mean, I don't think this is necessarily, this necessarily has to be a Marxist analysis. I mean, it's just obvious, right? Um, but I think, you know, I think when you have these sort of, uh, these much less kind of free and stultifying, you know, economic circumstances um, in these industries, I think class identity starts to become much more important, you know, because it becomes easy to cancel people. It becomes easy to get rid of people. Um, it gets a lot harder to survive. So, it, it, I noticed, you know, I saw it from the, I saw it happening from this dog randomly out here. <laughs> uh, I see he's connected to this fella. There's coyotes out here, though. Oh well, there's coyotes out where I live. They're oh, coming well, right. Yeah. They're coming down to Hollywood Boulevard these days, <laughs> literally. They have for a long time, I think. LA's, LA people don't get that about LA. LA is wild. It's a wild place. Yeah. There's coyotes. There's uh, there was some shit in the canyons too. I don't know exactly which uh, fearsome cat, but there uh, are mountain lions. There are mountain lions. Yeah. Bobcats, plenty of bobcats. Bobcats. There's bl there's blue haired improv girls. There's uh, all kinds of crazy creatures. They'll come out. Creatures. If you call animal control, they will come out for those two. They'll come, well, they'll come out, but the problem is that they'll, then they'll get scared and they'll be like, it's not my problem. We don't have jurisdiction to send them back to Minnesota, where the fuck they came from. <laughs> it's always Minnesota. It's always, it's always Minnesota or like Pittsburgh or <laughs> Iowa or some shit. 
Every, every annoying person in LA is like two years removed from being the most hated person in their family in Pittsburgh, <laughs> you know? But LA gets to blame. <laughs> he bit off a lot. Yeah, this is a nice, nice old stick. But, um, so, you're doing kind of straight line reporting all these years, or when you're going back and forth to D.C., or... Yeah, well, no, I mean, I st my, my time in just kind of straight objective media was very short because of the Iraq war, because of seeing how, just being around the people that completely failed. Right. Right? Um, that was sort of a different kind of red pilling. Um, and so I decided, you know, this is what I need to do. I need to do, I need to call out what happened here because I was around it. I saw the people that were just not willing to say anything that right. was, fell in line um, with the, you know, the WMD line, the jingoism and all that. Yeah. And so then I joined this little known unlaunched startup organization called Media Matters. Oh, you started Media Matters. Yeah. I didn't really, and I mean, that, I should have known that. ended but. up being sort of my personal Iraq war vote, yes, vote uh, yeah. in some way, now looking back on it. <laughs> well, but like, if so okay, tell me the story about that, because Media Matters has a reputation. Today is, is one absolutely, it's one of the most evil things that exists. <laughs> and you founded today. it, that's great. That, yeah. that, this, this is the fear, so just before you get into it, I, like, so when we founded the dissident paper, the alternate paper at UCLA, uh -huh. yeah. we built, and we graduated, we wrote a charter uh -huh. giving us the right to at any time nuke the paper if it oh. goes if it veers from its mission. Yeah, we wrote see, a long I wish mission. I had that vote right yeah. now. Would be the, the nuke. Yeah. Because yeah. it's exactly what I what we feared. Right. You know? <laughs> that it would just eventually get out of your hands. Exactly and become and it's like it's not about like you know in a way sort of like what the intercept has become. Exactly. For a lot of people who are not at the intercept anymore. Right. It sounds like it, intercept and media matters. Sounds like it's identical trajectory. Very similar, yeah, very similar. There are others too, but there are others too in this vein. I mean, yeah. the same thing has hap happened to something. I mean, in a similar, not not hundred percent identical, but similar to like debt spin or like yeah. anything that was like advice, anything that was yeah, like yeah. naughty or interesting to start, right. took the same uh -huh. uh, journey down the rabbit hole of retardery. Right. And so tell me about Media Matters. Now, you st what, what year is this that you started? This was, I want to say, like 2004. Oh, okay, yeah. early, early. Yeah, this was 2004, yeah. Um, before and, the election, or? Uh, before the election, yeah. It was before and through the election, yep. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, you know, I joined and helped bring that about with the best of intentions. It was, again, mostly focused on the Iraq War. I wrote about you know, the WMD lie, I, you know, um, you know, I wrote, you know, one of the, you know, most widely read debunking pieces about, you know, the quote unquote connection between Al Qaeda and Saddam Hussein right. during that time, you know, um, and that was sort of, you know, even after Media Matters, that was sort of the world I was at, you know, did some work for, you know, think tank, you know, progressive think tanks and, um, you know, eventually I found myself uh, on the Obama campaign. Oh shit! Okay. Um, and, uh, who hired you for that? Who hired? Was it self kind of? I was so I was hired on uh, onto the digital team, which was sort of like the first real digital kind of um, you know digital operation of a pres a serious digital op operation right. of a president. Which got a lot of boohoo. A lot of got got a lot of uh, uh, there was a lot of. Uh, 
uh, like, t you know, talk about how the Obama campaign was the first yeah. digital, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you could make an argument that the Howard Dean campaign sort of was the real roots. MoveOn.org was part of Howard sure. Dean, right? Um, or was it late? Like, when did, I thought MoveOn... Move on, move on, well, I mean, MoveOn had its origins with the... Um, the Clinton impeachment. So that's, you know, the name. Uh, right? Oh, that's why it's move. Okay. Just, um, what was it? Censure and move on. Censure. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even remember. And then it became, from the early 2000s on, it became just this general liberal. Act. Yeah. As I recall it being, you know, very Michael Moore affiliated at a certain point. Yes. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, yeah. Um, and then... And so then Barack Obama got elected president. That was a, you know, just, I was, D, I was in D.C. when that happened, and, uh, yeah. I didn't, I, I, I knew he was going to win. I had no mystery, there was no mystery yeah. to that in my mind. Yeah. But it was just like, and everyone was so excited. So were you, were you excited about, I mean... So assuming, you know, at this time you were still kind of Republican, were you a John McCain? No, I, I didn't like him. I didn't care for him at all. And I, okay. I Ron just, Paul? I, I, you know, if the Ron Paul thing, I wasn't a Ron Paul fanboy because by that point I had already become disillusioned from all, um, like, direct political identification. Right. I, I got the solution from that like at the age of 20. Mm -hmm. Like I'd burned out from it all. And it was like, to me, Ron Paul seemed, I don't know, it seemed, it seemed a little meme, meme-y to me in a way that, like I knew that the people who were lusting after him. I mean, would him, you say he was, he was sort of the first meme candidate? He really was. Don't you think? I mean, yeah, I think so. Really a prototype, a prototype for what would come, I don't know, maybe the next time that came was Bernie, right? Bernie 2016, was there any other meme candidate? Well, Trump. But Trump was, but Trump was, yeah, but but Trump was far more. I'd say Trump and Bernie sort of. Yeah, Trump and Bernie was sort of the what Ron Paul became the the kind of, I feel the the, that set the stage for Trump and Bernie, and the difference being that. Trump, I mean that Trump's was very self-made, like he created that himself for himself, kind of, like he's the one who, at first he was just a fucking celebrity running. Right. For, for, you know, what, you know, what else is new? Some oh, crazy, oh, he's just Jesse Ventura, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But then when he crafted his uh, kind of populist uh -huh. message more specifically, uh -huh. that's what I think took it to a whole new another level. And then, and then, I mean, just because he was also, he was really funny. You know, Ron Paul was very polite. Right. They had, to, they had to create Ron Paul in some ways, right? In like some ways, to, yeah. They had, he was all there was. Like, in a way, mm -hmm. he's the one libertarian Republican who votes no on everything, right. who has this purity to him. Yeah, yeah. Which I always felt was... I always felt like when someone's just voting no and it doesn't matter, uh -huh. it doesn't count the same to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I have nothing but... I have no Ill, Ill thoughts about him whatsoever, but I'm just like, okay, I get it. Dr. No. They used to call mm -hmm. him Dr. No. Mm -hmm. Um... I get it, but for me, I need to see you actually accomplishing something to win my respect. Not just voting no when it doesn't, re it's not really costing you anything because you're going to get reelected anyway. Yeah. And you, you're the one no vote. Now you can go to a libertarian conference and talk about how you voted no for this, this or that thing. I want to see how, what you're doing to actually stop it from happening. Mm 
-hmm. if you, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's where my Ron Paul, you know, half enthusiasm, you know, just, just not being enthused about him comes from. Mm -hmm. Am I hearing myself echo? Yeah, there's an echo here. Holy shit, I was freaking me out. Yeah, it's a special phenomenon. It's kind of a tourist thing here. Ah. Yeah. I wonder if it would, it would pick it up on, I bet it's probably too subtle to be picked up on. No, though. They'll have to believe us. They'll have to believe us that we're echoing it's through cool. the bay. As we stare at Alcatraz. As we stare at Alcatraz. Yeah, we'll get some good pics here because it's clear, clear sight. Um, yeah, so, so long story short is I, I didn't have any, after college I was kind of done mm -hmm. with, uh, with politics and I, I was purely interested in going in, in the creative realm. Um, and all my political impulses were just sublimated into my general worldview at that point. Right. And I, so I didn't care. I didn't get all worked up about Obama and McCain, mm -hmm. Obama and Romney. Didn't care. I knew Obama was going to beat Romney. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by the time Trump came along, and I've been saying this, like that, I, I was unprepared for that being a real thing. Like I was not. I just thought it was a joke candidacy that right. no way could win. You know. Right. When it, oh, I was in Beirut when the election happened, my friend calls me. Election more. night. Election night. I'm in Beirut, Beirut for uh, my movie premiere there. My friend calls me. The hotel room wakes me up. Trump won, and I was just like, the sh you know, I was like, are you are you joking? <laughs> and I turn it on, and he's giving his victory speech. Uh, he's giving his press conference. I'm like, what? Right. So, I, so my thing was with that was I don't like being that out of touch with anything. So I need to look into how this happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're at least you're not as out of touch as say uh, a Hillary voter, though, right? I mean, it could have been worse. Oh, right? it could have been way worse. I mean, I'm I'm obviously better than that. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, even if you didn't think it was going to happen, which you know, any I think you know it, that's a pretty reasonable thing to have been at that time is to just think that how, how could it happen right yeah Donald Trump become president I was, like, I was like there was no precedent for it for me and and right. I'm a precedent predictor which is not the best way to be but right. that's what you know they're just like to me I was like I can't point to anything in history right but it, as long as you were not coming from a to totally kind of um lib delusioned uh place I think you were in a safer emotional space right oh I of mean, course I wasn't you, afraid right right I, I mean I knew Trump supporters. Unlike right. unlike uh, TDS people, I actually mm -hmm. knew Trump supporters. Right. My my mom, who I read pill twenty years before, right. total MAGA at this point, <laughs> like you know, to a degree that drove me nuts. Right. Um, and you know, I did. I, I didn't. I, I I knew. I I, I know I half mean, the country aren't Nazis. Like I'm not. Right, right. I'm not a fucking idiot. I slept idiot. fine on election night. Right. It's it was fun. You know, I, because I, I completely understood it. I didn't expect it to happen, but it, as long as you at least understood it, right? Whereas ha at least half of the country no, they just completely did not went. sleep for months, maybe years. They right? didn't, yeah, they didn't sleep. And they dug themselves even deeper into oh, yeah. oblivion and oh, ignorance. Yeah. There, was, there was a brief period, I want to say. Uh, now, I was, I was a Bernie supporter at that time, right? Like, right. This was my evolution, you know, when I... So I, you know, I was in 2008, obviously, I was on the Obama campaign and worked to, you know, elect Obama. And then, you know, my evolution during that time was that, you know, I, I had gotten into politics again, you know, just from the background I came from. Um, I was sort of a New Deal Democrat. My arch nemesis, you, you know, it, it has been the same 
which is, you know, I was fiercely anti-identity politics. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a complete diversion. Well, that's right? a huge, that's a big distinguishing factor from you and the average lib yeah, liberal of right, any, right, any right. era. But there was still a place for me, right, um, in the 2000s, uh, even in the early 2010s, right? Um, it was, I mean, it was not easy, but it was, you know, you know, advocating social, you know, social democratic politics within the Democratic Party. There was a pretty, I mean, there was, you know, the instant, many of the institutions were still devoted to that and were not completely ID Paul poisoned, right? Right. At the time. And that was sort of like my struggle. I mean, if you called yourself a progressive, quote unquote, um, you know, or later on when Bernie emerged, you know, it became popular to call yourself a leftist. Where, but, you know, in the end, leftist was just the new name for, you know, the, the progressive wing of the party. Which right. Eventually just became a totally bankrupt notion um, and sort of always was. Um, but, you know, the, it was because you, you advocated for, you know, certain economic policies and wanted to turn the party away from identity politics and from that whole cynical thing. Right. Um, and that's. For me, that's what Bernie represented in 2016. I was a very, I was a very anti-establishment Democrat. That's how I kind of saw myself, but still a Democrat, right? And I thought the only, the only possibility for realigning politics in the country away from this sort of progressive identity politics bullshit um, was going to happen in the Democratic Party. I always thought, you know, the Republican Party was always going to be this kind of oligarchic kind of um, corporate dominated party um the only way to you know working classes and middle class and whatnot was going to be through the democratic party wresting it away from um you know this kind of woke, woke corporatism and whatnot right and so um you know obama kind of really the obama experience just going through the financial crash and going through you know obamacare and um even directly after with, you know, the stimulus and all that, um, you know, it was very, you know, it was really kind of a disappointing experience. And so I kind of thought, you know, I, I'm going to go harder into this progressive direction that eventually kind of culminated my support for Bernie in 2016. After 2016, you know, I thought, well, you know, Bernie's going to have another shot. And but then almost immediately there was this brief period, I was going to say, after 2016, where there was going to be this rethinking. How did the Democratic Party allow this to happen? Right. We had like two or three months, um, Bernie supporters to kind, of, to kind of make this case. Um, and it was immediately wiped off the the agenda right i mean they immediately went into russiagate yeah and just completely done and then bernie himself right just totally gave into that entire narrative eventually yeah he became a russiagator and you had the entire left completely give in to the social justice you know the social justice warrior the woke thing um and so after that i was like you know i have no home whatsoever left um in the you know in with the party um and really in the entire political system. So um, it was around that point where, you know, I kind of just had to uh, um, kind of cut, you know, go in a totally different independent direction and just start kind of self-canceling. <laughs> so how did, and what was your first self-cancellation? Wait, before you answer that question, yeah. let's get a picture ball while yeah. the light is still. <coughs> Excuse me, sir. Could we bother you to take a picture of us? Sure. Thank you. With Alcatraz in the background? Sure. Thank you. Horizontal or vertical? 
I think uh, horizontal for this one. Yeah, we'll just do both. Why not? Okay, yeah, why not? Can you right, right. Let us know if we should stand apart to get the Alcatraz view. Alright, well, we'll do a couple different views. Okay. Alright, now vertical. Alright, you got a bunch of different ones to choose from. Thank awesome. you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Yeah, it's just good. Things are good. I like this stall work. It was fun. Yeah. It was interesting. You were out with Glenn? Uh, I was out with Glenn, and we just walked around the hate. Yeah, it was dead. But Yeah, hate is dead these days. It's not. In the day two? In, even in the day yes. two? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it is. It wasn't when I was last year in 2019, but that's really? a different world. Oh, yeah, I mean, no, it's, it is dead. Yeah, I, yeah so we, we just, you know, we did some hippie talk, and just generally, because the first time we'd met in person, Mm -hmm. And we do a podcast now together called The Back Wall. Where, you do? Yeah. We, sports? Sports. That's where we, we, we do, we do um, like, we'll do play-by-play -play on a game from the past. That's awesome. And, and it's fun. Yeah, we just started. It's like mm -hmm. done three of them. Nice. So it was fun to, it's fun to meet people for the first time when you've been mm -hmm. chatting for a while. It's all, they've all been very positive, including this one, positive experiences for me. I've met now a dozen people, if nice. not more, from Twitter of the last year, you know. Nice. I'm adamant about meeting <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make sure that it's all real, mm -hmm. like given all the time we spend. <laughs> right. Although you've been kind of, you take some time off. You seem to be capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I try to. Um, I don't really love it, to be honest. I don't like the incentive system, just kind of neuro, in terms of just the. It sucks. The neurochemical. Yeah, yeah. Thing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the I feel, don't really like it. The brain chemistry, the the state it puts you in is. Less than I, less than ideal, I think. Right, right. Um, I don't really, I don't actually enjoy tweeting. You know what I mean? Like I enjoy getting something out there and kind of disturbing the, uh, the, the, you know, the right. um, disturbing the the balance. Yeah, exactly. And that that's just the you know the best medium to do it for me anyway right now, right? It is. I mean, well, all your tweets go viral. It's seemingly. I mean, every single one hits a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And that's because I only tweet something I really feel at the time, and it just kind of comes to me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not. I don't feel the need to kind of constantly keep a stream going. Um, Thank God, because yeah. I just, I, it's just not healthy at all. I think, I think the one perk of having a big enough following as you have accrued, because you're over like 20,000 at this point, right? If not way more, I don't, I don't know exactly, but... 30.9. Uh, 30.9. 30 yeah, let's right. get that straight. 30.9 thousand, and, and <laughs> that, that's, a, that's way more than you had a year ago. If I remember yeah, correctly... I mean, this is all, the whole thing was built up in just a little over a year. I, I, I think I started tweeting maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, so that's a huge, that's a huge... So I had no presence, I had no right. following. And Although you had the fact that you were a media-affiliated person from your past, I guess? Not really. I mean, none of that really... I didn't have... I, I don't think any of that contributed to anything. I just started tweeting stuff that no one else would tweet outside of maybe sort of... Not even the right-wing universe would really tweet these things because... You know, even the right-wingers, I think, 
never really had the number of liberals in terms of what drove them sociologically. You kind of had to be in the in yeah you among had to, yeah them. you were you were kind of rebelling against like you were kind of calling out your peers right correct, whereas correct. yeah right wingers are 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 so are like why are you even mm-hmm. it's like old news for them in certain ways and they don't they don't have the same sense of sense the same sensitivity right to, right there's something the different about being a um, a heretic right yeah. Um, so I, I think that was, and it's far more. It's far. You get far more hate as a heretic than as a, hate, yeah. than as a, a, an, a, an mm-hmm. OG infidel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, I think there were a lot of people for whom that resonated. I think there were a lot of people who necessarily never felt um, like they were. You know, they were. A lot of people just didn't grow up. You know, sort of the way you did. You know, ensconced in this sort of like right-wing or Republican or conservative intellectual tradition. They weren't familiar with it at all. They didn't keep up with the different pundits and whatnot, but this type of thing resonated with them yeah. regardless, you know. Yeah. Um, and so there were a lot of liberals who felt like they weren't allowed to kind of believe these things or say these things yeah. um, about their own peer group, about their own um, peer sets. So I think maybe that is something that resonated with a lot of people um, and sort of set me apart. Yeah, uh, that I, th- I it, that that makes sense to me. You you were like you give you gave I'm sure a whole a whole community of people the conf- the, the the confidence that or the sense that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know the people with the same similar background that you have mm-hmm. in liberal discourse circles. Yeah, and I think there were a lot of people who were also coming out of the Bernie experience who were not ready to just go in that hyper woke identity pillow route right yeah um there are a lot of people who really did want to see a big change you know in the system and they didn't see bernie as just sort of their little uh you know their own little niche of the democratic party right they wanted actually to disrupt the system they were really like kind of dissident anti-establishment people now i don't think that was most of them that was sort of the shock to me and maybe a small group of people and that we weren't really in it for the same thing in, in 2016 and in the years ensuing. Um, you know, I think Bernie was really just sort of a place to park yourself if you were a young lib, right. a young Democrat. And you didn't want to be, uh, you wanted to, you, you wanted to feel, it, it was basically the youth, that's how you, that's how you're, that's mm-hmm. how you're uh, activating your youth card. Yeah. You're saying you're, you're Bernie. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, it was, it ended up being sort of just a youth recruitment, recruitment tool, tool yeah. for the, for the Democratic Party. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. A procurement. It was basically, Bernie was basically the Jelaine Maxwell of the Democratic Party. <laughs> <in a way. laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. Um, so yeah, I think that's maybe, you know, I don't know. It's hard to explain what happened over the last year and a half. Um, I mean, I certainly don't tweet because... I, you know, I really enjoy expressing my opinions. You know what I mean? I don't actually enjoy that. Like, it's not something, I'm not someone who's like, I, I'm not like a natural pundit in it. Right. You know right. No, I mean? you seem, yeah, well, that's what, but that's why you're, I'm a pretty you're more believable. You're more credible yeah. That's that way. Yeah, I'm really reluctant about it. It's really purely, almost purely motivated by outrage. <laughs> right. You're, yeah, and, but outrage that is, that you, that you, uh, very, that you stifle. Mm-hmm. in a very uh, objective tone. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you keep it... The outrage is evident, but, but the expression 
the the um, unaffected expression is a really fun <laughs> contrast to the outrage that's seething, that's boiling right. beneath, you know. Right, right. And just like you're really just holding back, and you have a right. and your 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 uh, profile picture matches it because you're just like you're just like sitting there. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, honestly, are you fucking kidding all, me? Yeah, all of this. Honestly, it's, it, all of this. It, it's only recently that like I even noticed that what you're describing now is not something that was obvious to me until pretty recently where like yeah it, it kind of does come across as like an onion article in, in some way right <laughs> yeah it's, that's true <laughs> right like it's like <laughs> it's like the tweets with the profile photo and everything yeah, and yeah you're it, like and, one of the opinion guys yeah. you're like one of the opinion guys <laughs> in the onion right and it's totally not intentional i swear to god i don't know how i and I have to be honest, it's totally reflective of who I am. I have to cop to it. Like, I just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's something to be proud of or or embarrassed. I don't know. I mean, it's because it is kind of like a joke. But, yeah, it's, it's, it is how I am. It's quite literally it's how so, I am. Yeah, and we're all fucking onion. We're yeah. all the fucking onion <laughs> opinion <laughs> men on the street at this point. Yeah, that's exactly. We're just yeah. like, what the, like, because, because, like, those things would be, they'd be offering, like, insane opinions. Right. You know, based on ridiculous, perverse premises. Right. Or whatever, you know, or like, I think we should have less abortion because I want more Hershey bar. Like, there's this crazy <laughs> right. shit. And now that's, like, literally what the discourse yeah, is. Yeah, right, right. And so it's the best form of satire is to yeah. also do that. Yeah. Uh, that's true, the thing. Oh, man, talk about another blast from the past when, when the onion was cool. Haven't yeah, looked, I haven't mean, looked at the onion in. Yeah, ages. no, I mean it's been complete. I mean it's it's fascinating to see, you know, if you look at what's funny now in that regard, it's the Babylon. Bee. It's the Babylon B, hundred percent, and it's like, and it's and that that is the best tell for like how the culture has completely flipped. Yeah, it tells you exactly what's cool and what's not, what's yeah. risky, what's not. Right. Yeah. No one. I, I never see onion articles go go viral. I haven't right seen now. one in years. Right. Whereas I, I will see a Babylon B one every week. I see. I see. I mean, you know, and I go to Babylon B, and I'm like, and and you know, they're 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 the they're Catholic. Oh, I think it's Catholicism, or they have a certain. I think avowed Christian point of view. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but despite that, and despite like, despite every attempt at something like that I've seen before, I'm continually impressed with their consistency. Like even the just you know, mm-hmm. even the sort of off throwaway headlines are pretty good. Like, no, I mean you can tell that they're really pretty um, politically astute. You know, they're yeah. not they're not just they're not just comedians. They're not just comic writers, but they're really pretty politically astute, and they—I mean—they would, God, they—they'd be real assets on a conservative, like political candidate. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? They really get it. I mean, yeah. They're, they're, there's a lot of intelligence behind what they're doing. They understand it really well. I should try to find the guy who who started it. I think he's in San Diego. Um, I saw him on Twitter recently, and it's at San Diego, so that's not yeah. far. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a Absolutely. San Diego operation. Absolutely. Uh. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. that's what's funny now. I mean, is there any anything funny happening on the other side? I mean, is there anyone <laughs> no. who's funny now? No, 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 no. There hasn't been for years on the other side. Like that, there hasn't been anything funny on the other side since. I mean, it depends on what you descri- you know who you slot on the other side. Mm-hmm. But I, I always had. I mean, this is what I talked about on um, what's left. I always had a, a major animus to John Stewart. And Colbert, but they, I can admit that they were. But you funny. can admit, yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah they right. were good at what they did. Mm-hmm. I had a major problem with it for all the reasons that mm-hmm. I think turned out to be the case, which is they created this whole irony leftism, right? 
right. uh, digital irony leftism thing that you see right. everyone hiding behind now. Right. But, but they were good. I mean, I can't deny that they were good, at, and especially Jon Stewart. Colbert, mm-hmm. Colbert's talented, but his shtick mm-hmm. has just never tickled me. Right. Um, but they're not funny anymore. I, I, I wouldn't think so. No, no, Colbert is completely a total right. a, a, a laughing. He's a laughing stock. He's not funny. Right. Right. And Jon Stewart, I, I, he's, you know, he sounds like he's, he's trying to be responsible and stuff. And, right. But, I mean, he kind of goes back and forth between completely being uh, just lip-brained and, and yeah. every now and then having a moment of clarity. But, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. He does. He he'll like he'll step up for Joe Rogan stuff like that, free speech stuff, right. which I which right. you know fair right. good you know. Uh, and I mean, why? Probably because they're friends. They must be right. Yeah, and it's 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 I the mean, least I, anybody, I just, but it's the least a human being can do. Exactly. So how much are we going to fucking uh, right. un, uh, uh, you know crown someone for doing the least they should be doing? Right. You know, right. I, it's better than what these other idiots are doing, but still, um, Chappelle is sort of the successor to them, and. You know, it, it, it seems like, I, but I don't think he's been particularly funny. No. I, I, so I, his last special, I was entertained I by it, but maybe just because it's Chappelle, and Chappelle is an interesting and compelling figure. He has a stage I presence. Up, yeah, he has a presence. Clearly. I grew up with the guy. I enjoy the, con- I mean, it, the controversy surrounding him is interesting. It was entertaining. Like, he's a good storyteller. He's a good, yeah, exactly. But it wasn't, I didn't no, fucking it was laugh. Fu- it was I not, didn't fucking laugh once, actually. I mean, even the previous specials weren't that funny. The ones that were a couple years old. Mm-hmm. Um, they I were funnier. a little bit more, yeah. They were exactly. funnier. But this one, I was like amazed because I felt like, oh my God, he doesn't even have, he has like one joke yeah, in this entire hour. There were no jokes. There were no jokes. And it was, and yeah, and so when, when it's no jokes, it's like, it. it but if, you know, honestly, I think that's more respectable. Than telling shitty jokes. Oh, certainly. Right? Like I'd rather have not, you, yeah. Yeah, like if you're in his position or in the position of basically almost 99.9% of, you know, if you're in the position of not being Norm MacDonald, right. basically, um, right. I think it's more noble to do a set where you don't tell a fucking joke than telling the shit jokes that we hear. True. You know? True. Like, I mean, it's, it's better, better to be on the level. Trevor Noah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, 100%. I, it's better to be, I mean, you know, I feel like there's also not. Uh, um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I've been struggling with this too and like how to manage my desire to be, you know, fully artful in my expression and things, but and also m- with, match it with the desire to be, uh, fully can- blatant and candid and just tell the fucking truth, right. which is, is so, which is, you know, still, even though things are slowly opening up, it's just like, it's still hard to, to see find mm-hmm. it anywhere mm-hmm. like just the mm-hmm. basic expression of what is of what is true in itself still has this like uh explosive quality to it like when you now, see is it now is that is that because you're worried about just how that will play or is it because you don't know that you'll really resonate and you'll reach if it, it in in which case in the truth telling or yeah, in, in the, the truth sk- in the truth telling it's it's more um it's it's um it's 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 in a sense it's a third thing which is I don't want to be I like I decided when I was twenty not to be the I don't want to be a pundit that's the thing right. I with all my might I don't want to be a pundit right. um, and I feel like I would be good at it mm-hmm. and I would feel like I was good at it when I was a teenager mm-hmm. like relatively you know mm-hmm. like nothing special but I was I, I could be good at it because I I can. I come at it from so 
different places, you know, and like, well, you have an education, like you actually, like, there aren't that many people who even have an education in polemics and proper polemics, right? Right. right. Today, I mean, no one even, most people today don't know the word polemics, right? Right. They don't even know what the, right? And so you understand how to think and how to talk about these issues and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think you probably would be good. But is it a desirable way to live? Never has been for me. Like, I, I cannot stand the idea of it. Same. I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, leave beside a bunch of angry opinions. I want to be, I, I want to be the onion guy. Uh, huh? The, the I don't want to be that onion guy. With the, I mean, but, you're, <laughs> but yours aren't angry. That, but yours are artfully re- repressed. Right. Not repressed, uh, right. but whatever. Uh, we just describing your style and you do, you totally do evade being a, you know, just like a huffy, a Huffington Puffington, right, right, <laughs> you know, right, like right. A, a huffy pundit. But regardless, like I want to, I mean, just just in terms of forget, like forget the desirability of of it at any particular level. But just that, what I want to, I want to leave behind something that, that that's a creation that that stands right. the test of time. Right. Isn't isn't? Um, I mean, even these conversations that I'm that I'm doing now for FAA. As much as we talk about current events, right. my main agenda is always to capture. The re- either the relationship if it's somebody I've known really well mm-hmm. and or the character of the person I'm talking to right. in, in its right. in its uh, uh, inimitable condition and state right. and that to me is the, what, what makes this worth doing not to not mm-hmm. to vent about any mm-hmm. particular issue mm-hmm. um, but so that's kind of my thing is actually that's uh, it's my pride thing I don't want to be a fucking pundit and right. ever, never go down as a pundit and on Twitter you're venting you're being a pundit at least some percentage of the time right. if you're tweeting right. with regularity right. um, and I don't want to like only tweet when I have this marvelous little uh, mm-hmm. pearl of a you know jewel right. of a right. uh, you know like apothem uh, what if that's how you pronounce it I don't mm-hmm. um, um, so yeah so that's you know since since I stifled that when I was 20 and I've been letting loose a bit for the first time ever in the last year, mm-hmm. I'm cautiously kind of trying to find this path for how I can continue to express the thoughts in my head, but to do it within a somewhat artistic framework, mm-hmm. artistic for lack of a better word, um, which I hope is what, I hope this, this, uh, podcast is a for, a, you know, is a, va- is a valid, leap in that effort um you know to just kind of step out of the 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 neurochemical (laughs) right right i mean well if anything is going to work in transcending like you know what we have now it's it's doing it in a way that isn't through punditry right Right. has punditry worked is punditry going to work no punditry is drawing the lines exactly the way they're already drawn Right, 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 and just um, repeating him, repeating him. It was drawing over the same yeah. lines I mean, until they're why, bolder and bolder. This is why Joe Rogan is the biggest podcast in, you know, yeah. in the world, and yeah. why he is such a, you know, radioactive figure, right? It's because he doesn't, he doesn't, isn't drawn within those same lines, yeah. right? And he's not doing it, he's not, he doesn't, his program is punditry, right? I mean, first of all, a ton of it isn't political, right? But even what what is, you know, considered to be political is not, um, you know, is not being done within the confines of, you know, political punditry, right? And it's, it's being done through the lens of culture and sports and everything, and that's what's so dangerous about it. And right? another thing that's so dangerous about it, which I, I um, expressed on Twitter, and it was like, it's my most like, pseudo-viral tweet, 
it, I leg- legitimately think that because on that po- his podcast, he is it's the friendship that is that is like evident in that podcast. Yeah, you have people going on and they're having friendly, con- chummy conversations with mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. whether they know each other or not. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it feels familiar. It feels familiar, you know, and that's that's dangerous because they want oh. you to they don't want you to humanize right. the other right. side. Right. You remember that word where like yeah. oh he humanized you know right. like right. so that's a very dangerous little element. Right. That was that was the big. Um, I remember one of my fondest memories of 2016 is when Jimmy Fallon ruffled Donald Trump's hair, <laughs> and he yeah. got in such fucking trouble because <laughs> it was like you're you guys are being friendly with each other. They you literally said he cute. humanized Trump. Yeah, they that, that was it. Yeah, Trump. that's what it was. That was his sin, was humanizing <laughs> Trump because he ruffled his hair, right? Yeah, so that's... And a, Trump yeah. let it... Ha- they hated it because it made Trump actually seem human. Yeah, because Trump... If Trump slapped because his Trump, hand away, would have they would have been like, ooh. Ah. Right, but Trump was like a good sport. Yeah. And they couldn't stand the idea that Donald no. Trump was being a good sport. Like yeah. he was being <laughs> a normal human, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why they can't... That's the part of his... Uh, ongoing stand-up routine mm-hmm. in his speeches and stuff that they can't stand either, which is that he tells he cracks jokes right. as if he's at the water cooler yeah. with other dudes, mm-hmm. and people love that, mm-hmm. and they can't stand that. They no, can't I mean he's <laughs> he's right now. You know, love him or hate him, the guy has, is he's the only politician in America who has a human connection right. with his supporters. Right. What? Who? I I can't think of another politician now in America who actually has a real organic human connection with his supporters like people who support him really love him yeah. and they they feel like he speaks for them who else can you talk no, about I in can't. America right now who has anything like that Just no a, one. I've never on either side on no either I mean I, I can't I can't think of any other person which is why like you know when people bring up other alternative Republican candidates it's it's like yeah this person might be good or strong or, or, or viable right viable right. but we're we're t- literally but talking it's about it's not the same there's thing. a dimension here that's completely untouched by any i mean i've never remember anyone caring about with with obama they tried to care they tried to pretend they cared when he was giving a speech like oh, they yeah, they right. pretended that he was su- super eloquent which no, he wasn't just, yeah no they projected a bunch of stuff on yeah on they projected him. oh he's so articulate which was like, which it was, was like it was a West Wing thing, right? Like there yeah. was it was a West Wing casting, like kind of. It, it was, was, and but like, but know. like his speeches were so boring. Honestly, like right. objectively, the one thing that annoyed me actively about the Obama eight years was how it was the supposed elo- eloquence of right. him, mm-hmm. even more so than the supposed gorgeousness of his wife. Which okay, fine, if you're going to force us to, you know adore his wife, fine. But like, he wasn't that. Like his speeches were just bore he's a boring lawyer like i know the type mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. nothing new um just a boring mid-level lawyer ta- you know skilled in his way uh talented in his way but very not ins- very uh, insignificant in a sense and whereas with trump if you're at all non-tds like you're like you want to listen to everything he says mm-hmm. and read every tweet he makes mm-hmm. and stuff because it's just oh it's just you know the best show Right. ongoing and he's right. just good at what he does like right. do you think they'll be able to maintain this uh, Twitter ban on Trump if he's the if he's the nominee think about this it's gonna be really interesting no if he's the nominee again which I mean if he wants to be he will be right it seems um, so yeah it, how are they going to keep the you know we're in two party system here how are they gonna keep the one 
you know, the one opposition candidate off of an entire social yeah. network. Is he well, how is did he they banned p- from Facebook, too? I don't know. He is banned from Facebook. Okay, so how are they going to keep him off the Internet? Yes. How are they going to sell that? Well, it, it's, a good, it's an I, interesting point. Like, how, how what, what, might that be the kind of rubber match in the censorship wars where that's where if, if we do, like, that might be the opportunity to completely break it? Or not. I don't know. It's break, a, it's break what? what do you break mean? well. Break the like if they if they if they will eat. Okay. Well, they either they're either going to have to double down and be like he's he's because if they keep him off, that means that they're mm-hmm. going to they're I mean, going to treat all of his supporters in the same way. Right. I mean, you're essentially you are really. So what you mean is that you know if they keep him off, then it's really going to be a very clear line between like this is you know yeah th- this is. This is what's you know. This is what's allowed. This what this is you know. It's it's going to be very obvious it's, that like he's going to be de- he's, it's going to be like he's a terrorist organization, right? And his supporters are terrorists, right. which is what they were intimating, right? Starting with election night when they banned right. him, right? Up through January six when they created that uh, uh, that hysterical mm-hmm. movie out of whatever happened on January six, right? So it's going to be one where yeah, it feels like as you're saying. It feels like status quo isn't really going to happen. It feels like it's either going to be they double down on why he must be offline. Right. Now, maybe he wants he wants this as an opportunity to assert Truth Social. I don't know what he's thinking there. Because Truth Social, yeah. if it's just conservatives, what's the point? Like, mm-hmm. I, if it's, but if, it's, if he's on there exclusively, mm-hmm. that will mean that a lot of curious libs are going to go on there yeah. just to see what he's saying. I mean, it's a danger for them, right? Because, okay, let's say they keep him off and they really, really alienate him and the entire, you know, half the country more than, you know, it's hard to imagine, but even more than they have so far. If he were to win, you you basically have a completely, you know, shadow kind of government power entity. I mean, he'll be, I feel like he'll probably feel a lot more unleashed in terms of yeah. what he would be able to do in office. It could right? be. It could be. Um, you you I mean, would it, hope that would yeah. be the only reason for him to to, to win, though. Right. Uh, if it doesn't, right. otherwise, what's the point? If he's not going to do, if he's not going to like, if if we're not going to get um, Trump unleashed, right? It's kind of you know that yeah. set it up for DeSantis or something. What's right. why you know? What's the point? What's right. the point of, of dealing with all the drama if we're mm-hmm. not going to get? Yeah, and like, it's big and things. it's and it honestly, it's starting to sound like I don't know if you saw clips from uh, his rally, his recent rally. But he really is starting to sound a little bit more unleashed in that regard. I mean, he's talking about taking on a new executive powers to uh, basically f- be able to fire any executive employee. Um, talking about how you know we need to get rid of the deep state. It sounds like he's right. really starting to pick up those those themes. So I don't know. It seems like a real danger to um, for them to do that. Now it depends on you know your perspective. But maybe that's a good thing. I mean, <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing that the president was banned on, yeah, on, on the night of the election from all social media. Right. Yeah, people do. People do think that it's crazy. But yeah, what you were saying about Rogan in terms of the friendship thing, I think that really did resonate because, you know, if any, for for people who have been, you know, I was a Rogan listener for you know like a decade, right? Yeah. Before, I mean, I guess he's gotten really. I don't know. When did he start getting really big and on the radar of people? It really wasn't until. Like it, it was the past few years. It was basically, I feel like the more, the the more Trump was succeeding as a president, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. 
And the more it became impossible to kind of avoid that, oh, we're not, we haven't just... Whose side are you on, right? Yeah. I mean, the culture war thing. Like, it, what Trump really did was he was an accelerationist in the culture war, right? Like, that yeah. was one of the big parts of what Trump was, was an accelerationist where you really had to pick a side, yeah. right? And anything that was sort of not on a side became really suspect. And that's yeah. why Rogan, right, to this day, is such a huge problem in the culture wars because he isn't respecting that. that yeah, he's not right? respecting that uh, uh, demand that that one pick a side. I think right. ultimately he was a, he was a also just like a, he had the plausible deniability of he basically was speaking for Trump people. Rogan was. Rogan was. Yeah, okay. he was without without admitting it. You know, he he's, he he called himself a Bernie supporter or whatever, and he's a lib and all well, that. Well, he just talked like a normal person. Yeah, like, but that's an, but a that's what but, but that itself was had become politicized. To be right. normal right. was politicized. Right. Was a political act. Right. To not be a hysterical, shrieking, uh, gender freak political act. Right. Um, to think that Donald Trump is a human political act. It's like all these things. So. Right. I feel like the more that became. Uh, universalized throughout media. You could be that privately, right? You could be that stuff privately. Yeah, privately. Openly, publicly, you had to be either this thing or that. Yeah, you had to be, you had to be clamor, you had to be banging the pots and pans. Right. uh, If you wanted to stay on the good side. So he, I feel like he was this, this medium Mm -hmm. for normal people to assess what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. and, and or to just like you said, congregate, or right? just to congregate, just it. to be able to yeah. feel connection with other people that wasn't mediated yeah. through this weirdo political culture that yeah. we all had to be mediated by, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's why for me it was kind of came as a shock because I was, you know, I, I I'd always been listening and, and watching, you know, the videos Rogan, you know, podcast for like the past ten years, but like. For me, like, I don't know, anyone who's been listening for a long time, the best episodes are not the ones with, like, some big guest, like Elon Musk or whatever, right. but it was the ones with, like, his his friends, yeah. like, his fellow comedians, right? Because there was a rapport there, and yeah. you were tuning into something that you felt, like, was familiar. And yeah. so when they had a political conversation, when that stuff came up, you could just relate to it, right? Yeah. And you just felt human. You also felt, you also could hear there, and, and you know, this, this is something that obviously, far to a far more... Um, vivid degree is true of Red Scare but you could Red Scare I haven't heard of it Red Scare it's just a <laughs> Brooklyn podcast it's this it's this Lower East Side uh, you know half Armenian uh, operation um, but the, the, the idea is but the idea for that in both cases I feel but Joe Rogan too is that this is a kind of conversation um, this friendly conversation he's having with mm-hmm. either literal friends or that he's mm-hmm. having in a friendly manner with whatever, mm-hmm. you know, celebrities, mm-hmm. is there just isn't any, there's nowhere that such a thing can be, that that vibe is depicted in the culture, uh, in mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. You don't see movies where friends are having, like like they do in Clerks or like they do in... Uh, you know any of the yeah. you know like uh, in 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 Jarmusch or whatever like mm-hmm. you don't see it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Everything has been uh, adversarial, turned into an adversarial, but in a very stupid way. Not even good mm-hmm. adversarial. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like that alone, especially when the pandemic happened and people became a thousand times more lonely. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just this like a way of vicariously being social again and having mm-hmm. friends again and having mm-hmm. the kind of conversations you'd have with a friend. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, the, it, this reminds me, we were talking about this previously with talk radio. I always felt like the reason why talk radio and, and right wing talk, there's no real other talk radio, yeah. right? Other than, but what it was always good at was making you feel, even though you weren't part of the program, you weren't on, you know, you weren't talking to the, to, to the broadcaster, it felt like you were having a conversation, yeah. even though you were shutting the fuck up, sitting in traffic in LA yeah. and, you know, you were by yourself in your car, right? It still felt like you were kind of, if a really good talk radio broadcaster makes you feel like you're, you're talking, you're speaking with him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. You're, you're being walked through a series of kind of arguments and you're kind of, you know, you may not even agree with any of it. Right. Like when I used to listen to that stuff with my dad and, and sitting in the car, there was a ton of it. Most of it, maybe we wouldn't be agreeing with, or like some of it we would agree with, some of it we wouldn't. But we were enjoying having a debate with the guy, even though we weren't talking. Right. Right. But you could also call in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most, for most right. of them. Right. The, the so, only... and, and that was a big part of it, too, right? Because even if you're not the one calling in... Yeah, someone's calling... calling in with your opinion. Right, exactly. And so, like, there was a humanizing element of it, right? Yeah. Like, it was... And I think that's the same, whether it's, you know, Rogan or it's Red Scare or whatever in yeah. podcasting. You feel like, you know, when you've become familiar with these people, you have a relationship and you're, like, really actually, like, you're having this conversation even though you're not necessarily yeah. taking part right and and, and, and and yeah you're having it and or and or <coughs> they're having the conversation you want to be having yep that is is another thing and right so a conversation that you may not necessarily have access to because you know there aren't people around you yeah or you can have this crazy. kind of conversation with you can't you can't do it publicly, maybe, or you just don't know anyone else. You just don't right? know anyone. You're right. you're trapped in a work environment full right. of weirdos. Right. <coughs> God, I have these like allergies that are uh, scrambling my sinuses. Oh. I don't know why. I have uh, this must be a new thing. Allergies. Allergies. I, I've never had allergies. San, yeah, San Francisco's not that bad. But, um, no, I just DC's get... like the fucking worst. Oh yeah, because you of must the... have. I don't know. Maybe. You've... <laughs> it's just—it's a rant. Thank you. It's a random thing that hits—that's hit me. It rarely happens, but um, that's—that must be what it is. Because I like almost sometimes when I'm not trying to record, I don't mind sneezing a lot. You know, yeah. it's kind of like a fun exercise. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I mean, the, this yeah the the talk radio the interplay. There is an intimacy there that simply, I, you know, I, I notice this now. It's also something that is so different from NPR. NPR never NPR had that. Is fucking insane now. NPR, no, NPR never had that. I mean, NPR is very interesting in that way, where like, it's almost like liberals don't want to have conversation. They want to be. They want. I don't, I don't. I guess they want to be talked at. They want to be lectured to, or something. It's, they want to. Yeah, they want right? to be. Yeah, they want to. I don't. Be, I don't know if there's something actually sociological there. It's just not <laughs> something I've thought about before. But yeah, why do liberals love they, the NPR style, whereas? Yeah, I, which I always hated. Which, like, I, 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 I literally was always bothered by it, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was like, why mm-hmm. is it that people want this? Why is it that people want this tone? Yeah. Why are these people talking like this? Why are they saying, <laughs> uh? All Souls Day, <laughs> and what the, like what? Right. What is that accomplishing? Obviously, there's a hypnotic. There's some sort of hypnotic mm-hmm. effect, um, and in a way, I mean, uh, there is a. I don't want to discount that 
there is a room for it kind of working. Like, if this is if the show is called Algonquin Roundtable, and I'm going to hear Dorothy Parker exchange witticisms with, uh, you know, whoever the fuck Alexander Wolcott. I don't know whoever the fuck is in there. Right. But you know, in a mid-Atlantic accent, I right. get it. Yeah. I get right. it. Right. Um, but if you're supposed to be normal people, why do you have to talk in this way? Yeah. It's I, so precious, and it's so, like, like the words you're saying are such so are such dainty little uh, mm-hmm. ornaments that they might shatter at any moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, a, I mean, in my view, it seems like it's like the liberals want to feel like they're an anointed people that they that they're an, that they're a cerebrally superior and mm-hmm. this is sort of this is this is a tone in which highly sophisticated people uh, right. discuss highly sophisticated thoughts such mm-hmm. as that the third world people are poor and there are chickens right. everywhere right it's the desire to sort of justify being sort of the aristocratic stewards of society yeah. right um that's, I think that's the impulse behind it. That, that's the need that NPR is serving. Now, I mean, you know, NPR has always sort of had this, this air about it um, for as long as I can remember. Yeah, certainly. It was, but it was still, I guess, respectable in some regard, right? In that, like, they had some standards. In the past few years, NPR has become, I don't know. I haven't listened, but I can only imagine. I mean, it's just... It's just com- it's just like liberal fake news now. I mean, it's, right. it's just so off the rails. Everything everything has a racial angle or a bizarre, tr- you know, a transgendered angle. I mean, it's just become total like just culture war propaganda organ. I mean, right. it's just like you know, like it's just become completely unrecognizable from what it used to be. Um, you could at least get informed by it, um, even if you weren't sort of like sort of, you know, culturally, um, you know, ensconced within, like, NPR world. I mean, you could get informed by it or come away with, like, things that were not completely fucking false or just, like, out of this world. But right. now it's, I mean, NPR is just, uh, yeah, it's unrecognizable. Actually. It's, yeah, it's, I, it, I want, I'll have to venture in just to see what the wreckage looks like when it's always felt kind of lousy to me but yeah there's also the yeah that's the thing you know this is a hard this is a difficult conversation to have with people who you know always <laughs> who are always who, like who are always like you know dismayed. we saw this and i don't know it's like we're you know we is it that you were just right all along or is it that we're just it's different things like there were you know like yes you had a valid kind of criticism but like this is a new criticism to lob yeah. to kind of to kind of like lob onto the old criticism, right? right? It, well, they definitely got worse. There's no question about the, any of it. I mean, right? It's I, not all like this is just the same thing, and you're just coming to our. Yeah, yeah. You you're know, not. It's is, not. This that. is a new thing. It's I a think. new thing in the sense of its its flagrant stupidity, um, and 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 prop and like just unabashed propaganda. Whereas before, to someone like me, it was. It was just wrong. It was just wrong, and it was sort of it was propaganda that was. Um, moderate modified by some desire for objective presentation and for you know like they were it, they had an ideology that that informed everything they did but they it tried was, to make it, lib- it pass Listen, it was liberal right yeah it was, it was always a, liberal it was always liberal what it's now is not i don't think you could call it liberal right it's it's something else well at least it had it also had a it had a sheen in the past of like uh, hoity-toity, artsy-fartsy. 
which if you're actually dealing with art mm-hmm. is ju- is is you know justified as far as it goes it's like it's it's if you're actually talking to Czech author Stanislav Sloshkov about All Souls Day on Bookworm with Robert right. Silverman. Right. And it's like, okay, I mean, then 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 that's that. I mean, my prefer my alternative to NPR, which I loved from the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, later than I started listening to NPR. I, I li- by the way, I used to listen to the jazz NPR jazz station, but that doesn't really count. Um, K jazz. Um because um, they're sort of like independent thing. It's not like typical NPR. It's just it just happens to be an NPR affiliate. But um, I feel like it, like what was I going to say? Like uh, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh yes, the alternate to NPR that I that I loved was Book TV on C-SPAN oh, yeah. and yeah, all yeah, of yeah. C-SPAN mm-hmm. because I felt like that was with really no airs, mm-hmm. a completely balanced. Mm-hmm. They had. The most conservative guy, uh, writers on. They had the, they had the most. They had in between, and they had the libs, mm-hmm. and the, all of it. And Brian was like what Brian Lamb had created with oh, C-SPAN. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's the kind. That's what I want NPR, and that was also like a public utility, you know, service type mm-hmm. of situation, right. paid for by the cable companies, though, not by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my ideal of that of 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 the because I saw everyone from on on their book tv their in-depth they would have three hours on sunday with one author mm-hmm. i saw everyone from camille Paglia mm-hmm. to david horowitz to um who i already knew at the time but uh that's a name i haven't heard in a while oh yeah i'm trying to get him to i, I know him we're going way back way back uh-huh. i hope he's still active enough to to, to, to be allow me to bring to, to visit him with this because uh, i want to get him on the record too but mm-hmm. David Horowitz had did a three-hour thing. Of course, John Updike. Everyone uh, was allowed. Everyone was yeah. mm-hmm. all over the place, from mm-hmm. like high literary to yeah. polemical to whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that was, and including like even the the the, the little one-hour mm-hmm. things they would show of people doing book readings at various mm-hmm. bookstores mm-hmm. was all over the map. I remember Susan Sontag right after 9/11, after she got she did that New Yorker thing mm-hmm. saying it was our fault. Yep getting grilled for it or not getting grilled but getting asked about it mm-hmm. in her latest read you know mm-hmm. I think C-SPAN sort of had you know the benefit of having to sort of obey the um, bipartisan political culture of, of Washington yeah. in a way yeah. right where it was sort of ruled by the fact that we have to you know there are two halves to this political system right. and we have to respect the culture and the the political culture that exists within yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, NPR can just exist in this liberal bubble and yeah. pretend that, you know, it can just be this, you know... They don't care. Of, For whatever reason, they're not subject to any sort of... Right. And which is ironic given that NPR is the one getting government funding. Right. right. <laughs> I don't get out... C-SPAN... Uh, yeah. It was know, not getting government funding. No. Yeah. But it had to respect a sort of culture that it was part of, right? right. It, it had to respect the system that it was serving, which right. was, we have to talk, we have to give time to Republicans and Democrats. These are right. the two parties. This is, you know, we're in Washington here, and, yeah. and I think Book TV reflected that as well. Yeah, it right? did. It totally did. The whole the whole programming reflected it. I mean, mm-hmm. his interviews with even non Book TV with like mm-hmm. Hitchens and whoever he would pair. He had Harold Bloom on. Mm-hmm. For one, and then he they called Joseph Epstein, this uh, conservative. Uh, I mean, he's politically conservative, but he's mainly no, regarded as an essayist mm-hmm. of a very high quality. Who, um, uh, 
who does not like Harold Bloom, wrote like an essay shitting all over Harold Bloom. And he, they called, they got like a voicemail of him and played it for Harold Bloom. And it was, it was just like great. There was a lot of great stuff going on. Yeah. He was making fun of him, calling like, he was, it now, was just, I haven't kept up. What, what's, I don't know what's going on with C-SPAN. I haven't looked okay. in, in, for, I, in ages. Yeah, I have no idea either. But have they, I mean, that's when you know it's over, is if C-SPAN. I mean, I know, out, I know right? that, yeah, in, in I, wars, right, because like. because they're like the live feed on the right, exactly. If C-SPAN goes, you know, goes lib, you know, it's crazy over. Lib, then it's like we we know that it's you know but, because that, that that just like completely perverts its entire purpose. Yeah, right? but the question is, what is I mean, Brian Lamb? Is he still alive? I don't think so, or is he? Or did he retire or something? Gosh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So who's you know? It always comes down to who's in charge. Right. It's just, it's like, now I do believe that, I mean, according to my mom, mm-hmm. being super MAGA, she always would watch C-SPAN during mm-hmm. the Trump years because mm-hmm. they would show the actual... And that, that C-SPAN may be the only place you'll see Trump in this, in 2024, right? <laughs> right, maybe. I mean, w- with all the, um, you know, the whole story after 2016 was CNN and Jeff Zucker and, you know, the other cable channels to a certain extent were responsible for Trump because yeah. they played his rallies, right? Because they actually yeah. showed him as if, like... As if there's anything more more interesting to show. Like, right, or, yeah. you know, that as if, like, you shouldn't have covered a political candidate. Yeah. And it's absurd, right? Right. And I well, think they're going to learn... Well, it goes into the whole humanizing learn... aspect. Too. Right. It's, it's, it's yeah, all, yeah, all it's part of the thing, same yeah. thing. They, right. don't, they can't abide any sort of exposure to their, en- to their enemies. Right, right. So if you're not going to see Trump on the Internet, and you like you're not going to see him... Cigarette. No, um, what, you know, wh- where are you going to see Trump? I mean, how are you, you know, how are you going to see the Republican nominee for the Right. For president well, you're going to see, well, I, I guess on Tucker, I would guess, like, he would show clips. I don't know, like, Fox News seems to be showing clips from the rallies, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. It would no, have that's to be true. that. Yeah, no, yeah. Fa- Fox News. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think Fox News isn't going to have that compunction. Um, but... Outside of, I mean, it's just one network. It's the biggest network. Yeah, but, it is. You know, outside of one network, I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be weird. Like, it's gonna re- be a real test. Yeah, of, it's gonna be, it's gonna be the first time we, from soup to nuts, a candidate has been blacklisted from the media, mm-hmm. a major candidate. Right. Right. Just like in the post-Soviet, just like in this, in in like post-Soviet oligarchies, mm-hmm. where opposition candidates are blacklisted from the state-run media. Right. That's where we're at now. Right, but. It's going to be a candidate who has, like, a real shot at winning. Yeah, well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, usually those blacklisted candidates... Yeah, they are, need a revolution are, to have a chance. Yeah, it just never happens, right? right. It never happens. Um, so this one's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. And, and, you know, there's definitely this cloud hanging over the system now that ooh, they might, uh, you know, fortify it again against him. Right. You know, that, right. that, that wonderful word they... Uh, how they describe it so there's a sense in which we'll see uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of you know how much of a victory is needed to overcome the kind of shenanigans one can expect <laughs> that's the, kind of the thing you know it's not it's definitely not impossible it's a matter of how much it takes to and it's also there's a, there's there's two long years between then and now, mm-hmm. and 
who knows? I mean, we're already like we've got ten dollar gas. Yeah. Right. Right, right, <laughs> right now, right. you know, which is Putin's fault. Which I, is, I don't know if you right. It's that. Putin's fault that we have ten dollar gas. <laughs> I mean, I not cannot, our fault. I cannot believe that they're actually trying to sell this idea and literally trying to rewrite the history of the past like month, trying to make people think. I mean, gas prices were rising well before they were already the Russian invasion. Yeah, they were already up by thirty percent from right. what they were under Trump. Right, but the the stuff that they're able to like actually get away with, because I think. I mean, the way it works now is that, like, half of the country is just going to accept anything, they say, you know? I mean, it's just remarkable that, like, when you have that kind of confidence, you're willing to just say anything, you know? Well, if you're in the habit of repeating what you hear on MSNBC right. as right. a certain very, you know, very uh, uh, conspicuous portion of the population is... Mm-hmm including some people I'm going to be talking to soon, and it's, I'm wondering how I'm going to navigate this starting tomorrow. But um, it's like, yeah, how, how, what do they do with the, the passage of time in their brains? I just don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know what's going on in their heads. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, they're, are they truly going to fall for yet another... Um, you know, they're, I mean, they're obviously setting up Republicans to be Russian agents now or something. Right. Right. They're setting, they're going to do, you know, will they fall for another race video that that drops down? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, there's going to be something yeah, I mean, I, every single time. What I would time. say, though, is that it's not, they're not falling for anything. They're readily taking part in right. something that they want to, right. you know what I mean? They want to believe like, that their neighbors are fascists. Well, because so it's always the same game. It's just that... It's you know what it's like is it's sort of like a uh, an online multiplayer like shooter game, where like you're always playing the same game with the same weapons, the same teams, same players, but they're dropping you in a, into a new map, mm-hmm. right? And so like the last map was COVID, right? Yeah. Um, the map before that was like BLM, whatever, and the new map is Russia Ukraine. But like these are people who like are we actually going to believe that all the libs with you know their you know all all the stuff that they're saying about Russia and Ukraine now like that they're really like just well versed in the geopolitics of this and that they like really feel passionate about Ukraine and Russia and whatnot. I mean, these are the same people that, um, you know, in 2012, when like Mitt Romney said like Russia was the greatest foe of the country, they were all making fun of him. Yeah, right? I remember that. The exact that. same people. And, and so now all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that like they're, they're actually approaching this issue from like a geopolitical international relations. No, they're mad about 2016 yeah, and Hillary. Still, yeah, like that's still... what that's what it is. Like Russia's biggest mistake in this situation was become becoming part of the liberal Marvel universe. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. Russia well, became part of the liberal Marvel universe where like they were on team bad guy. Yeah. And so now liberals think that they're I mean the the idea that like liberals think they sound like they're like patriotic freedom fighting people because they're, you know, supporting Ukraine and they're and these people have no grounding in this issue. They couldn't have found Ukraine on a map two weeks ago. No. Right? No. It's just a new map for the culture yeah. war they've been dropped into. And it and it and it sort of makes it feel like the whole thing was which you know, my my stance on it, and I am, you know, I am no fan of Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. Um, and like but my the way I saw it, it was like, why are they seemingly intentionally pushing a war into existence because it looked the, right. the way that right. whole fucking thing was handled by the Biden administration seemed like they wanted a war to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. They wanted it to happen for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like, I'm not going to say it's because, you know, whatever, but it's like, whether it's because they thought it's going to drain Russia, whatever it is, 
it looked like intentional, it looked like it could have been avoided by doing what's eventually going to probably happen anyway, it seems. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that back when I was sounding the alarm about Russian influence, Russian brainwashing back of 10 years ago before it became popular mm-hmm. to be uh, 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 to become uh, to, to, you know revive this Cold War thing back when I was involved in efforts for democracy in Armenia and I was trying to tell people that you know what what's going on and 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 when kind of Putin was aggressively uh, uh, kind of building the, the 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 governance style that he has since has kind of gotten more and more aggressive since. Um, it's kind of, it started when he forced overnight multiple countries, Armenia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. to abandon their European Union associ- uh, free trade agreements and join his, his Eurasian Economic Union. Um, overnight, without even telling their cabinets, he called both presidents in. Overnight, and like reversed a years-long effort to get... Right. To, and, and that's where that, you know, that a lot of people you know, wash over this now because it's, they're, they're so concerned with you know, not becoming um, warmongers. But uh, that's where, to me, it was like, that's where things were getting, that's where it was really going down. And at the time, nobody cared here. Nobody cared about Russia and any of that. And that's when the real problems happened. Now it's too, now it's like we're deep into a different conversation at this point. Right. Um, but also, you were, you know, you are coming at it from an actual grounding in actual issues and policies relating to the issue, right? Yeah. You know, it's like actual substance to it. Like, it isn't just a proxy war. Right. You know? Yeah, it's an actual... What you described here is not a proxy war. It's actually engaging an issue. Right. It's not putting a... uh, you know, a flag that, you know, says, you know, I support the current thing. Right? Yeah, I support I mean, the current thing, that, that good meme that has been created. It's the best meme so yeah, far. I support the, the current past- thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And therefore, that's why I know that nobody actually gave a shit about Russia and knows anything about Russia and that it's all fake. I know that because when it wasn't the, when it wasn't the Marvel villain mm-hmm. for tr- uh, representing Hillary's unjust demise, right. nobody gave a shit. Right. And Mitt Romney was made fun of and so on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have the very basic bitch view that, at this point, I have the very basic bitch view that despite all my grievances against Russia having to do with how it treats its, its uh, you know, less powerful uh, uh, allies and so mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. But all of that aside, in the biggest of biggest of big pictures, it doesn't make sense for the for the U.S. and Russia not to be friends in the world, to, to me. Like, no, I, don't get, I don't get that at all. It seems like it's a matter of people who are invested in narratives. And to create an alliance between China and Russia. I mean, yeah. it's like it's so, yeah, just to force falling that into, into the stupidest, stupidest, stupidest arrangement you could. Right. Right. It's insane. It's insane. Now, similarly, you could say make this, you could make a similar point about Iran, mm-hmm. but that's another story. And I can't like, but like, there's a sim, there's similar like looking at the bit. Like, why can't we get to the point where we know we eventually need to get? Mm-hmm. But sooner. <laughs> right, right. Why do we need to go through God knows what mm-hmm. world wars to get to that point? Because there's a lot of people, a lot of powerful, kind of influential people that do want those wars to happen. Yeah, right? clearly. Do, do want, do not want the U.S. and Russia to be friends. Um, and they, you know, that's the world they want, right? Yeah. David from NPR's favorite. I mean, that's uh, the fu- amazing his face thing is about such a NPR. Fucking ghoul. What a ghoul. What a <laughs> ghoulish figure that David Frum is. How do you make a career 
out of being wrong at the cost of hundreds of thousands of lives mm-hmm. and continue to just be I mean, it's amazing uh, how he's celebrated. morphed right back into the same... It's like we're replaying the early he knows, mid-2000s. He has, one, he has one song in his repertoire. Right, right. And he is NPR's favorite pundit. I mean, that's the thing. He got rehabilitated. That's, I mean, that, uh, that Trump was the greatest gift to these people. They all yeah. rehabilitated themselves as yeah. liberals, right? Fucking Bill Crystal. Fucking, I mean, you know, it's like I've written, I, I wrote a lot of pieces for the Weekly Standard, mm-hmm. um, although he wasn't ed- he wasn't editing them. It was being edited by the back of the book, Philip Terzian um, and Richard Starr, the managing editor. He, Bill Crystal's just sort of the face, you know, a fit. Right, right. But um, I did interview him once when I was an intern at Washingtonian magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was for like a feature, a piece on like what, you know, famous Washington people are reading. A very Washingtonian. Kind very of Washingtonian. Yeah. But this was my experience at the Washingtonian is a tale of woe unto itself that <laughs> beyond. And Garrett Graff had just joined. Oh, there dear. To cite another name from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like another, a, another, I saw a tweet by him. Another Trump year uh, oh, celebrity. Another Trump. Yeah. Another like another Trump queer celebrity and man a tweet i saw of him recently where he was describing how this whole thing was like everything from that how like the the election of donald trump was the first major move in putin's design to take over ukraine and it's brainwash just incredible the it's, affirmative action of the trump years for punditry it's yeah for like incredible. total non-entities yeah <laughs> had nothing to there was nothing interesting about these people at all right right suddenly but if you were willing to say the most maximalist crazy shit yeah, with right. a blue check by your name, right. having never accomplished anything in your life other than just matriculating through the DC professional system, having and we're never saying, distinguished and, and, yourself. And it's become a pattern, though. Like that—that that was, you know, that Trump phenomenon of these people just building an overnight following of millions of people um, that were then stuck with, even when the thing is like passed and everyone knows it was stupid. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. happened with COVID. Yeah. Now we have all these people who are like you know, have these, like, huge followings who get to, like, say the stupidest things and we have to deal with it. Yeah. And it's happening again with Russia, Ukraine. Yeah. You have these people who are overnight building followings who are... I mean, there's this one guy who's, like, embedded with, like, the Azov Battalion. (laughs) And, like, has, like, went from, like, I don't know, a a, a hundred followers to now he has a million followers on Twitter. He's he's this, like, supposed journalist. Yeah. And he has a million followers. All these liberals are following this guy who's embedded with, like... Nazi, like a Nazi group in Ukraine. I mean, it's incredible. It's, uh, yeah, we're getting all these new people. Like with COVID, you had Eric. What was it? Eric Feigl Ding? Yeah, like that guy pretending. with the name Fingle Ding or something. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Dingle Fingle Ding. And and like I mean, we're just gonna keep going through these phases where like there's gonna be you know there's gonna be the current thing. Yeah. Right. And so, and the, and this rotating series of uh, uh, of of complete uh, uh, wax figure idiots is, are just like being propped up to... Right, to, and we're just going to have these overnight celebs, like these fraudulent overnight celebs over and over <laughs> until we're Ding. just full of just... These. When I saw Taleb retweet Fingolding in the last few weeks, that's when I just like, yeah. I lost it. I yeah, was what, like, so what happened? What happened with, with Taleb? Yeah. Um, ooh, this is a long story that goes deep into his uh, it, I, I, ethnic psyche, but... Uh, I yeah, mean, I, I think mean, he's ultimately just like as as. Is he just a boomer? Is he's just a boomer. Is? I think okay. it's just that he's just a boomer. Yeah. Okay, okay. I, I don't mean, get honestly. Any... That's the most forgivable. Yeah, it is. I, I you get. Know what that's I mean? what like, I, would I get think. it. Like yeah. boomers and COVID. I I get it. Like I don't. I think it's unfortunate. I think a lot of, I think a lot of boomers were able to resist it. But I guess I get it. Right. Yeah. Like it's just like, 
You know, there it's not a, a personal flaw. It's a generational situation. It's a ge- yeah, it is. It's know? a. It's it's a. Yeah, it's a generational situation. I mean, it, it stems in his case from being a obviously uh, very. Uh, I think I think this is all. Anna made this analysis, and I'm remembering it. With, mm-hmm. but like, that he's clearly very afraid of death. Uh, mm-hmm. And so his yeah Anna Anna's Anna's the one to cut through and and, and, and get right at the, yeah, yeah at, at yeah, the yeah. at the at the at the, uh, the med male yeah, yeah, she, oh, yeah. yeah she can get right through, <laughs> she can cut right through the thick of the Mediterranean Mediterranean fo- uh, right. fog yeah uh, and she gets the Levantine mine yeah she gets the Levantine down to the down to the <laughs> teen yeah uh, and so there's that he was clearly he's clearly was I would th- I would say a COVID a lockdown extremist. And the problem with that, and the problem with and everything, I think he can't stand being wrong, right? He like, can't I stand think, being, no, he can't I accept that he's wrong. I think the thing about COVID is that it forced a lot of people into this position of just kind of being afraid and yeah. kind of taking on a lot of these positions out of just not having a lot of information, which is okay. It's forgivable, yeah. I think, right? There were a lot of people who just needed to err on the side of. Yeah, and his whole thing in, is. In it, retrospect, was, you know, a lot of this stuff was. Yeah. In his case, it makes sense because his actual whole his whole uh, reputation is built upon black swan events that that you have yeah right. probabilities where you can't you have to uh, assume the worst right because you can't afford the worst like you can af- right. you can't afford exactly. to actually right. be wiped out right so the problem with that is that it's a, it's 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 something that you have to do and may turn out to be wrong in the end and that's okay and maybe being wrong yeah. is worth it right like that's that's part of the whole thing <coughs> the uh, problem with him is that i don't think he can stand that second part of the equation where like okay maybe this this turned out to not have been worth it and not you know maybe this was wrong and i think it's Essentially, he just has to keep digging. Yeah, he has to keep... My problem with it is even more specific, which is I feel like, you know... Okay, I understand that you cannot go back in time and say, in a period of uncertainty, you don't know what to do. You're going to take the safest way out. Mm-hmm. Get it. Mm-hmm. Right thing to do. It turns out that it was too safe. Okay, but we didn't know that at the time, so I'm not going to litigate right the the you know because we in a period of you're kind of guessing at that point i get it so i don't need to litigate that what i do litigate and what i litigate when it comes to his own i think his tone with Mm -hmm. with covid's with the lockdown skeptics and with everyone's tone is that you shouldn't have major calculations without factoring in the severe psychological and and mental costs of right. this policy like i which i knew and he's for obviously fa- someone who's very insulated he's well that, yeah and right? he's he's a super he's a famous like he's right. a famous guy who can go wherever he wants do whatever right. he's, he's traveled a ton right. Right. during the pandemic right. his life is secure as right. a living person so he just mm-hmm. doesn't want to die but mm-hmm. for everyone else, uh, for most and, people, right? And again, with boomers, this was kind of a generational dynamic. Yeah, with right? boomers are like, yeah, for them it's like for boomers they don't understand technology, they don't right. understand a lot of things. They just right. sort of like for them it's just things are either a convenience, a perk, or they're not, or they're kind of just moving along with life, right? You know, uh, and they don't get that. They don't. They don't. I don't think they look into the. Lo- they're not looking in the long view of. What is up with their kids and their grandkids and 
what does it mean to delete three years of right. life right. Right. from someone who's 22 right. or 30, in, in 34? In years, right? Like three years of, of boomer life is, you know, you're kind of just doing the same thing. You're still watching people. it. Yeah, you're still right. reading the newspaper. Right. You're still, you're still right. whatever three the fuck you're doing. Three years during when, when you're supposed to be out meeting your future, like, husband or wife. Right. Right. Three years you're out building your, you know, building the, the beginnings of your career. Making your formative um, life experiences. Right. Right. Uh, like. You're an athlete and, you know, you're, just, you're yeah. varsity, you know, you're, I mean, it, you know, is just canceled. Right. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine the life trajectories that were affected. You're literally, there are football players who were high recruits, mm-hmm. were high, being highly recruited by colleges, mm-hmm. who then simply could not be seen playing anymore and you know their whole thing got fucked up um your life plan fucked up uh uh you know i i I endured a version of this myself as i keep referring to but can't really get into the details of but like um it's it's all kinds of things are, are are happening generally speaking we have a problem in this country in in the west of loneliness which this like exacerbated a million fold like mm-hmm. we you know that p- people are barely clinging to sanity as it is right. in so many cult so many communities so many just like you know phases of life and you just know that locking them up in their apartments for two years or indefinitely or whatever is going to have severe consequences so n- my feeling was after week six or whatever of when we needed to just figure out what the hell is going on. And it turned out that it's okay. It's a 1% death rate max for, for the oldest and the most sick. Once those numbers came into play, I felt like the, the psychological calculation, the old world wisdom had to follow fast because we couldn't just, you just can't stop everything and expect good things to happen. It unleashed every evil in the fucking universe that has nothing to do with COVID specifically. You know, all these fucking wars, the Karabakh catastrophe, all this shit was unleashed. The hatred, the George Floyd uh, spectacle. Another, again, a situation where we had three months of everyone thinking we're on the same side. Maybe there's going to be a peace. There's, maybe there's going to be world peace, you know. Mm-hmm. Those first three months of the pandemic, George Floyd. And that's like the first three months of 9-11, <laughs> you know. Right, right, it's like, right. you just, no, 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 no. The devil doesn't take a vacation mm-hmm. when, when you're, when you're on, like, you can't, you, the, when you go to the bench, if you're pulled from the game and you go to the bench, the devil's not necessarily going to be, right. you say, go to the bench too, you know. Like, not to get all uh, biblical, <laughs> but come on. <laughs> um, I've, I've got it. Well, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy this a lot. Kapetsin varutachkeret, palaso. Jangotet zerkit kasherka. Dana 
Egnacijas kur karīni Hinu nor Čem kangnijas kvarčev Galhakor Bantar kvadzem jes cama Aizkjanko Jeu ar tem pati žedāc aeragojim Aireci bolor dar nera Bacie vpak Koch pek nera dzēz vercelēkei Iša tak Seftelov spitak tevera Kareci Inza sumen Chester Chica Jack Bass 